Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb. And as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you doing on this Tuesday evening? You know, Cade, thank you for asking. I'm doing well, but as well as I can be, it's always tough after the first loss of the season. You always hope for an undefeated national championship run, but you know there's going to be some losses, (laughs) but it's tough to get one before you even get to conference play. It is very tough. And I think, you know, number one, you were on this for a long time with South Alabama being the best opponent on the non-conference slate. Arizona State getting beat 29 to nothing by Fresno State all but confirms that even without having three quarterbacks, even without having gotten crushed by South Alabama on your home field. Uh, So I'll give you some credit on that one. But Dustin, I think for me, it's it's less that it happened. It's more the way it happened. And if you look at the last time Oklahoma State lost a non-conference home game, it was that Central Michigan game. And the two losses on the surface could not be more different. I mean, they the the way they happened, you've got this fluky, you know, one in a million type of situation in Central Michigan. And then what felt like a one in a million type of situation where you just get your butt whooped by South Alabama for four straight quarters and never look good in the process. Both of those felt equally unlikely. And yet here we are. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I I know you were giving me my flowers, but I'm going to have to give some of them back because I did pick Oklahoma State to win this game. I thought South Alabama looked better, which I said on last week's pod, in the games I watched from last season than they did this season. This game, and I don't know if it was because Oklahoma State didn't perform very well, but this game they looked a lot more, they closely resembled what they looked like in the games I watched last season. So they are a tough team. You're right. It was kind of a butt whipping for the entire four quarters. And it's tough. It's tough to watch. The the one positive before we get into everything is I think South Alabama would also dominate Iowa State. So that's one positive as we move into this preview. But yeah, you mentioned Arizona State not looking great. We we didn't think they were very good. They're without Rashad in that game. And like I said, they played three quarterbacks, which I thought was kind of funny. Oklahoma State's been playing three quarterbacks. But it was rough all around, Caden. I I know we probably want to start with the offense, and I think we're going to go long on the offense again just because I thought it was just a really kind of bland game plan again. And it's not really a shock. You and I thought they were probably going to do that. But we also thought if they got into trouble, they would try to add in some of the other stuff. I saw that practice I was at. We've heard about in the offseason. We've seen glimpses of. And they never went to it. And I I get, you know, you got to kind of stick to the game plan, what you practiced that week. But at some point, you've got to kind of work some things in there that are things you haven't shown on film yet. And and I know you don't want to tip your hand before Big 12 play, but you just lost to South Alabama. 
Yeah. And Dustin, you know, before we get too deep into this, I do want to, because you're, you're going down an amazing path here that I want to come back to, but I do want to highlight something that's not vanilla. And that's the shirt selection from our friends at Charlie Hustle, who actually have sent you and I a new shirt that they've got out. Uh, Ride them Cowboys. We'll we'll throw it on the Instagram here this week. But we should remind you before we get into the recap that this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best dressed fan this season, so be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. With over 30 schools to choose from, they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs. Shop today at www.charliehustle.com and use our promo code 101215 for 15% off all non-sale items, and you can use it on this brand new shirt that we'll put on our Instagram. It, so, It's a cool shirt. It's it is good looking. very soft. Fits well. Maybe I'll even throw up a pic of me modeling it, Kate. I'm <laughs> sure the people would not want that. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Those typically get rave reviews. And when we're pitching, <laughs> you know, why you should sponsor us, we we point to the spikes in engagement that happen when you post a picture in a in a hot new tee. Well, I, I'll have to give the credit to my wife. She's a photographer on the side Got and out. she's very good at it. So if you think that's not how I look in person, I'm much uglier, much frailer. So that if you think that picture looks good, that's not how I really look. I will say your wife is very talented. She's done family photos for my Thank family. You. She does a great job. So she doesn't sponsor this podcast, but she might as well because she does the an amazing, right there. An She's amazing for that. job. Yeah. Well, she'll have yes. to us. Yeah, absolutely. That's not free. I just want to put put that out there. Like that was not for free. But Dustin, Dude, I, I feel like we're stalling. <laughs> I think our listeners would probably agree with that because it may <laughs> be the point. I, I am dreading this, but I'll get right back into what you were just saying, Dustin. I, I, I hope that's the case that Oklahoma State was holding things close to the vest. I don't know how you can watch the tape and think anything else or... We were just straight up lied to all offseason about what this team was going to do, what it was going to look like. You said you've seen things with your own eyes. I haven't seen them, but that they're not currently doing. And so to me, Dustin, I, I get it. You want to hold things close to the vest. We talked about it last week that guys were th throwing the term preseason around there. It's all well and good if you want to call it that and you go 3-0. and But when you get your butt kicked by South Alabama on your home field, it's it's not the preseason. And as much as you may want to say that, and I, you know, DJ McKinney, notwithstanding, it's not fair to take one quote, but I do feel that they approach to this that way. And if they come out against Iowa state and you see all this brand new stuff, a lot of play action under center counter runs that we have not seen much of so far, it's going to be pretty frustrating for me personally that I would like to not have spent money to be in that stadium, knowing that this is actually a preseason game. You know what I mean? So I'm a little frustrated yeah, sure. in that regard. No, definitely. And and I think we get right into it and start with the offense. If that's okay with you, you hear coach Gundy in his Monday presser, you hear Casey Dunn after the game, coach Gundy didn't like the game plan on either side of the ball. Casey Dunn, they both said it was a really good week of practice. They were confused on how they played. 
One thing I will say, Kate, as we get into the kind of the scheme for Oklahoma State and what they did in this game, South Alabama came out, and we talked about last week in our preview pod that they the Swarm D, if you remember me saying that, it's a 4-2-5 that looks more like a 2-4-5 with two down linemen and then two edge guys that band it and then one of their linebackers on the other end of the line of scrimmage and in a lot of even front. And they mix things around. We talked about that. They kind of morph their defense. It's pretty multiple. But they went heavy, three down, odd front, true nose guard in Joe Mahalski's face. And we talked about after the after the Central Arkansas game, Joe Mahalski struggled with that true nose. And then in Arizona State, who runs more of an even front without a true nose guard in Joe Mahalski's face, we thought he was probably the best graded lineman that game so you see how much a difference that kind of movement of the nose tackle that odd front that zero tech right in the center's face nose guard makes on the offense and the other thing was this south alabama team the reason why they kept getting shredded up in pass coverage is they're a single high heavy man coverage team they come out in this game looks like single high and then they would drop one of the safeties back normally the boundary safety into cover two and keep their cornerbacks in the flats. So both corners in the flats, two high safeties taking away the deep ball. And then they were kind of dropping one of their other safeties or other linebackers into that middle hole area, almost like a Tampa two or inverted Tampa two. So South, we talk all this about Oklahoma state, not playing their hand, saving it for Iowa state, South Alabama looked to be saving it for Oklahoma state. Wow. Yeah, it's a fantastic breakdown, Dustin, and it backs up some of the things we know, at least I noticed in the stadium. There was a lot of times where it felt like South Alabama had Oklahoma State schemed up pretty well. You know, there were a few times where I noticed that, and I I noticed this more when Gunner was in the game at quarterback, where it looked like you had single coverage on an outside receiver with press man. So in theory, you should be able to go deep. And by the time Gunner's eyes got back down to the center, the cornerback was taking a couple steps back where it's really not press man. It's really a zone coverage that they're dropping into. And it seemed like Gunner really struggled with that. But it also seemed 100% like they saw something on film and they thought, this is what we're going to do. Because it was almost like you could like read the cadence of it when it was going to happen. And it did. So, Dustin, I don't know if, you know, that backs up some of what you saw, but I I just thought South Alabama had a great plan coming in. And Mike Gundy talked a lot about shading half a man into the box. So a lot of times Oklahoma State was not. That's that safety. Yeah. Not at an advantage, which caused some serious issues. Yeah. No, Kate, you're spot on. The I think it was Trey Kaiser. You saw some quotes from him after the game. You saw some quotes from Kane Womack. You saw some quotes from, I think it was, an, I can't remember the other defensive player for South Alabama, but talking about how everything that they saw on film this season from Oklahoma State, they pretty much saw in this game. And that kind of backs up what we were saying at the beginning of the pod. It was kind of that same vanilla scheme. They also talked about how, one of the the other defensive player talked about how Oklahoma State's receivers were slow off the line. I think South, South Alabama is really the first team to do a good job of disguising their coverage, like you yep. just talked about with that press man and then dropping off. And I think it confused 
especially Jaden Bray, who does not have a ton of college football reps, doesn't have a ton of high school football reps. He started playing football in the middle of high school. You lose to John Stribling early, five snaps into the game. So then you've got Talon Shetron, not a lot of college football reps. And they could tell that this disguised defense was really confusing them early on. You saw, I don't, South Alabama obviously got to the point where Oklahoma State kind of figured out what they were trying to do as the game went on. They still weren't able to put great drives together, but I don't think that was completely on the receivers getting off the snap slow. But early in the game, that was a huge issue. And I just think Casey Dunn and Oak, Casey Dunn and the players on the field were both very thrown off by South Alabama's defensive game plan. And then as you as they get down and they have to throw the ball, you go look at my personnel grouping breakdown, ends up being almost 50% 11 personnel because basically Oklahoma State had to go back to, hey, we got to have at least three receivers on the field. We got to throw the football. 10 personnel was the second highest at 27. So I, you have a three, three or more receivers on the field for like, what, 70, 80%? of your snaps. And that's because they had to kind of go into this, Hey, we've got to come back. The clock's running. We've got the new clock rules. And it was just all out of sorts after pretty much that honestly, you got a couple of drives stopped early in the first half and South Alabama scored a few times. And it was kind of just chaos after that for well, Oklahoma that, state's play calling and offense. That comment from Mike in the post game. And then this week in his media presser, around why they couldn't run the ball frustrated me a little bit like because of the clock because of you know the situation in the game Dustin I mean South Alabama was up 16 nothing with only a couple minutes left in the second quarter that is not an unwinnable situation if you're Oklahoma State you don't have to completely abandon at least in my mind in my mind, you don't have to abandon the run. You're one, you know, popped run away that we saw in the second half against Arizona State away from being able to threaten with a scoring opportunity. So when he said it in the post game, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And it still does now because that touchdown that they scored to go at 23 nothing. Okay. Now it starts to make sense. But when you say 70 to 80% of the snaps in that formation, it's like, well, <laughs> that wasn't. 50% of the snaps in the first half. So it just right. doesn't completely add up to me that that's why they abandoned the run. Dustin, it felt like they just could not do it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And it it kind of shows as they had to continue going back to these plays and not really pulling anything new out. You see Bowman and Gundy's personnel breakdowns right. and they're almost identical with the 11, 10 and 11 personnel Bowman with 53% 11 and 16% 10 and Gundy with 51% 11 and 22% 10. So it ended up working out like that. And you're like, Oh, well they finally started calling <laughs> to your <laughs> point. They finally started calling the plays similar. And that's not really what happened nope. and, and why, you know, you have to have the context, you know, not just our podcast, but you have to have somebody explain these tables after, because if you just look at it, you would think that Kate, a couple of other things I wanted to throw at you and get your take on that. I wrote down, I call these, Notes for Cade. They have their own section. I'm they're a little. Kind of, they're all scheme tonight. related. I'm trying not to. I just. I'm just a little frustrated. So I'm excited for this. No, no, no. So we talked. I talked about South Alabama liking to blitz. They almost didn't blitz at all. I had. Right. I had like four, five, or more pressures. Now PFF, I think, had like six total blitzes, six or seven. But they're counting if they're sending a guy from the second level is is what I've come to figure out. I tried to count it like that, and I got to a 
closer number to PFF. So like the first play of the game for Oklahoma State, USA sends their boundary corner straight at Bowman. Bowman smartly recognizes it instantly and rolls out to his right and quickly makes a throw. But outside of, you know, bringing some an odd fourth man, a guy from out of nowhere as a fourth guy, they didn't bring much pressure. And I still thought Oklahoma State had issues blocking three and four man rushes with five guys. Did you? Uh, yeah, I did. Yes. Here's what I'll say about that. I thought they had issues blocking. I felt like they, it really became obvious. And th- I, this is not the pile on Gunner podcast. I, I don't want it to be that. The whole team is, and coaching staff is deserving of this, you know, lack of credit that I'm going to give them. But it was very apparent when Gunner was in the game that the offensive lines issues that they had were magnified. Dustin, he takes a long time to get through his progressions when he does. And then he holds on to the ball too long. And by the time that it's time to get rid of it, that defensive line has taken advantage of a not great offensive line. And he's trying to work up the field when the defensive line is, you know, swallowing that pocket. So I felt like a lot of those sacks were not just on the offensive line, but included the quarterback play in this game. The pass protection, though, I said this last week. I say it again this week. It's almost as disheartening or as disheartening as the way the run game blocking has gone. Because last season, it was not this noticeable. It seems like they've regressed in pass protection. And I don't know what that says. No, I I agree with you. And speaking of passing, they had a run pass split on first down. That was pretty even. 52% run, 48% pass. This was my next note for you. They averaged... They're gaining three yards on first down. That's it's such a huge stat. And, you know, it plays into the fact that they had to pass so much later in the game takes into account because they had multiple incompletions on first down. But if you can't, if, if you're averaging three yards on first down, you're, you're playing from behind right off the bat. hundred percent. You're coming into second and seven. And you're probably, you know, you're probably passing in that situation. So if you don't complete that pass and and you can run there, I'm just saying what we've seen from Oklahoma state, you're probably going to pass there. If you don't complete that pass, then it's third and seven automatically. So you're third and long. Yeah. And and if you go look, they, their average distance to go on third down was 8.3. Well, it's, it's very predictable. It's not even predictable from a play calling standpoint. If Oklahoma state, does not gain a bunch of yards on first down, that drive is over. Like it, it's almost in the air at that point. And especially at home, like home field advantage is a great thing, but man, when it's going against you and you feel that oxygen get sucked out of the stadium because everybody knows what's about to happen, I plays against you. And I felt like that was happening on, on Saturday night. And I felt like that ineffectiveness on first down, we've seen it, through three games this year, we saw it last year as well. It's a major story, and it has to be the exact opposite of what Mutt Gundy is going for, especially with all that we've talked about with the running clock. We've talked about why you would keep an Ollie Gordon healthy all year if you could if you could choose to do so. It's like this is the opposite of what I think they're trying to do. Yeah, and 
One thing that I think, you know, you talked about the running clock again, we brought that up playing from behind one note that I think makes sense is only 5% of the snaps under center compared to 14 against Arizona state. I get that. If even if you are, I, I know like, I don't, I agree with you that they couldn't have, shouldn't have completely abandoned the run and things like that, which, you know, they did try to run the ball at times, but still going from under center. If you're trying to go with tempo, I get that not very many snaps there because of how the game played out. I'm sure they had more in the game plan, wanted to go to it more, especially after seeing some success at Arizona state. But what I don't get is 23% of the snaps had some form of pre-snap motion. We saw 40% against Arizona state. Even if you're going to move with tempo, you could do some form of motion. South Alabama used a lot of motion. Iowa state uses a lot of shifts, not as much, wide receiver motion, but they moved their tight ends around a bunch. And I told you at that practice I went to, there was a ton of motion and we saw it against Arizona state. So I'm a little confused if the run game's not working. If you've got one of your backup receivers in there, because Stribling goes down, who I know was probably a key part of the game plan. We've you and I think he's amazing. I know the coaching staff does. I know they want to try to get him the ball. Why not add more motion in to at least get the defense guessing a little bit? And because they were doing such a good job of disguising their coverage, that motion could maybe get them to tip, maybe get a guy to kind of move to where you can know what they're going to do after the snap or have a better idea. That was one part of this of Casey Dunn's game plan I had a real problem with. And I know the quarterback sometimes is the person sending someone in motion. So I don't think it's completely undone. I think it's on the quarterback some too. But th that not being more integral part of the game plan really confused me. I, I think it's – you're not specifically talking about like Brennan Presley or one person going in motion. But I had a conversation with some folks at the tailgate about, you know, the way Mike Gundy – and I, I can't remember the offensive coordinator at the time – used Tyreek Hill. You know, there's a lot of consternation about the lack of imagination that he had. And now he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I left Saturday's game after Ollie Gordon and Brennan Presley combined for five touches. And the stat you just laid on me at 23% pre-snap motion at wondering what they're doing with their best weapons. Even if you're not getting them the ball you could be using them, specifically Brennan Presley in this case, you could be using them in more imaginative ways. If your run game's not working and your pass game's not working, well, can we flip it to Presley out in the flat from the backfield? Can we try Can we try something to, to make the defense think? And so to your point, Dustin, it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, and it feels like a little bit of a, a familiar spot for me as I begin to think more about this. Yeah, no, I I agree. Kate, those are kind of the general notes I had. I thought we could kind of get into the run game start and start kind of going through the offensive line as far as run game. Before we get into it, I wanted to give you some notes on the offensive line from the snap counts. So this is the most snaps for Jake Springfield all year. We know he got injured in that first game. He comes back and he plays 26 snaps at right guard. He played 20 snaps in that first game missed the second game against Arizona state. So he comes back Dalton Cooper, who we know played left tackle in his career at Texas state gets his first snaps at left tackle. And I believe he played 26 there in this game. 
and it's the first game that Cole Birmingham and Jason Brooks have not played all of the offensive snaps. So uh, just just some notes as we kind of talk through this. Run game scheme-wise, heavy inside zone. They mixed in some split zone, which is where the tight end or fullback at that H-back spot blocks across the formation and kind of kicks out that end to form a cutback lane. A couple snaps of mid outside zone, which is more of that stretch perimeter zone run. And then we saw GH counter, GT counter, and then the fake fullback dive toss out to Nixon for the touchdown, which is a cool play. And, you know, we talked about video game plays, talking about mesh rail, mesh arrow. That's a video game play right there. And I, I like that one. 71% zone still though, Cade. And it's, I mean, that's 71% zone. If I count everything, you know, like QB scrambles, all of that, all those different things. So it was still heavy zone. We still haven't seen much counter at all. I had four counter runs, four scrambles, two draws, both QB draws, one toss, and one QB sneak. So it's still heavy zone. Still a lot of the same stuff we've seen. And, you know, I'll flip it back over to you, Kate. I know the offensive line, Preston Wilson, met with the media after practice yesterday. And he said that the offensive line met day after the game. They brought their breakfast. It wasn't a coach the coaches didn't tell them to do this. They got together. They watched some film trying to figure out what's going wrong. I really appreciate that. But they still struggled. And my first question to you is, Kate, is are they ever going to go more to the counter run game? And we know they're not going to completely shift 50-50. But are they going to start incorporating more of that? Because we've seen some of this zone stuff not really work. And I know it's not just on the offensive line. We've seen some misses from the running backs. But what do you think is the big issue here before we kind of go one by one? Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I like I love that the guys are having breakfast together on Sunday. The other part of me is like, maybe we put the pads on and and go hit the sled. I, I do appreciate that, but I I haven't seen much of anything. In, in the totality of the three games of this non-conference slate, that encourages me that once they incorporate a, a more counter, that that's all of a sudden going to be the silver bullet that fixes this. Like, I, I don't I don't think I believe that. And and I, I hate that I'm, you know, uh, I feel more negative than I have in the past on this, but I just, if it happens, awesome. But I think I'm coming to the the consensus of everybody else that you see that's like i'm gonna need to believe it when i see it because I, if they go to iowa state and all of a sudden they they go counter and they run for five and a half yards a pop on a good defense then i will i will believe it but i, I just no i it, it doesn't do a whole lot for me and um it makes me nervous about what's going forward and you know when you ask me what the big problem is i think it's all of it I don't think they're very physical. I think that they lack certain uh, elements in, in, you know, their technique. You and Adam, you know, you guys could go an hour and a half on that. But I, I truly just, when I watch them, I get zero, uh, you know, recollection of the offensive lines that Oklahoma State used to have. It just doesn't look anything like it. And so that doesn't feel like scheme to me. Yeah. I, I mean, the only thing we really, there were only a few things we, we 
haven't seen Oklahoma State do very much in this game. And I'm not going to talk about the ones in the passing game because we'll get to those. But, you know, they went to 22 personnel. We hadn't seen that. Two tight ends, one running back, one fullback. They they ran GT counter. I think we've only seen that once or twice this year. We've seen GH several times with the backside guard and the tight end. But you're right. It, it, it was just, it was pretty vanilla again. It's the first game where the running backs, I believe, don't don't go for over five yards a carry on running back carries. They only had 3.9 yeah. yards per carry. And, you know, things started kind of looking up when there was some offensive line shuffling later in the game. But early on, it, it was kind of the same things we've been seeing where it was, when it was the offensive line's fault, it was kind of one he missed block that led to the running back getting stopped in the backfield. And yeah. I, I guess hey, let's start. If you don't mind, let's start with Cole Birmingham. Yeah. He got pulled later in the game. He's still struggling in pass pro. I, it's his kick step off the line. So like his first step backwards is slow and he's very slow after that and trying to catch up after the bad first kick step. I don't know if that's related to the knee. I'm sure that plays into it some, his bad knee injury last season that kept him out for the whole year. But I I think you gotta you gotta keep him out off tack. Like he can't play tackle anymore unless he shows that he's fully back. Because Cole Birmingham of old looked a little quicker than this. Yeah. And I don't want to blame it all on his knee. I, I think he's a better guard. We've said that on this podcast. I think you have to give Springfield and Cooper a shot to prove that that they're worse than Cole, I guess. I, I don't I can't think of a nicer way to say that. Cause he's a liability and you, you you gave him three games and you would hope that and I love Cole Birmingham. I think he tries really hard. Seems like an awesome guy when they interview him. And I still think you could put him at guard. But he cannot play left tackle and perform like he has these past three games. I, I would agree with that. And I would say that there has he been the worst offensive lineman. Sorry, I didn't yes. mean to cut you off. I wanted to ask you that. Has he been yes. the worst one? Yeah. Yes. But I think the thing that plays into just his long-term favor is that the second worst in my mind, like just the, maybe the most frustrating one is the one right next to him. And <laughs> Jason Brooks, who we also saw come out of the game later on. So Dustin, I, I would potentially think of slotting him there, but is with this offensive line, Jason Brooks is probably too good to keep off the field at any uh, amount of prolonged time. So yes, I would agree with you. Cole Birmingham has definitely been a disappointment. I hate that he was out all last season and you, you don't want to blame it all on an injury, but there's a very clear um, regression. And I would agree with you on that, but he can't play there. He just can't. And and the thing is, I, I think he's going to have trouble pulling, even from the totally. guard spot, because he just he just does not look fully back, and that's not really on him. And it and maybe you know maybe I'm misremembering, but I went back and watched some games where he played for Oklahoma State in the past, and he looked much lighter on his feet, much mm -hmm. more agile. Because that's the thing, he just hasn't been quick enough. And I know they're playing against some some solid edge runs or some fast guys, guys that are. Even some of these teams like UCA, the guys are a little bit smaller, but a little bit quicker. So if Cole can't get his hands on them, they're going to get by him. I get all that. 
I still don't think he has been good enough to continue putting out there at left tackle or even right tackle for that matter. And the sad part of it is, I think he had two run blocks where, where, where when he was able to get his hands on somebody, he flattened them to the ground. Yeah. And then he was the issue on several runs as well. But it makes me think you could insert him at guard. But I think for now, you maybe you take him off the line and see how it looks without him just for a little bit. They don't have to be the entire game. I know they did that for the last, I think, 26 snaps of this game. I would maybe bring that into next game, kind of to your point. But it, it, you segued it perfectly. I, I just, you know, I, I always have to continue rambling. Jason Brooks. He gets the hold call, and it looked like it was out of frustration from getting beat several Mm -hmm. times. And he tried to kind of do, you know, he had the guy inside in the Arizona State game, inside of his shoulder pads, and he's probably holding on to him. That's the only way to really rip him down, but they're not going to call it if you got your hands inside. Rips him down in the Arizona State game multiple times for the pancake. This game, it's a bear hug, and he tries to do the same move. The official's going to call that. Every single time the holding, you know, he had a couple good run blocks. He's quick enough to get to the second level, but then he doesn't look great a couple times. He whiffs a couple times again. It's just so inconsistent. I didn't think it was like the worst game from him ever, but if you add on the holding holding call, it definitely wasn't an average or positive game. Yeah. And I I think it just is becoming a storyline that left side of the offensive line. I, I it's not like the the right side's been perfect and the left side's been bad. I think to- totally they're not very good, but the left side has been an issue and it's probably Dustin. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you and I probably felt better about that going into the season three games ago, right? With Cole Birmingham and Jason Brooks. Oh, yeah. There. Yeah. I'll definitely and, admit I was wrong on that yeah, for sure. Well, and I I I am too. And so to look up now and just be it's just a little bit bewildering. And, you know, there's probably, I feel like I can hear just having been on Twitter for the last three days, like the people screaming in their cars at us right now. Well, like it's, it, it's Charlie Dickey fire, Charlie Dickey. I don't know guys. So I'm just calling it out right now that when we talk about these, yeah, you're not going to hire a new offensive line coach right now. So we're trying to talk about things that fig- exactly like to figure it. it out right now. Maybe that's the long term solution. But we're talking about reviewing this game and previewing Iowa State one game at a time. Yeah, one game I, at a time. I, I'm thankful to have said that. And you have said that because that's exactly what I'm trying to get at. This whole thing right now feels like you know, square peg, round hole, what's the best fix? I don't know, but I do know Cole Birmingham is unplayable at left tackle right now, and Jason Brooks has has been as disappointing, maybe more, than Cole Birmingham. And the thing with Brooks that's a little bit different than Birmingham, and Kate, correct me if you feel differently, but Brooks has had the highs of some great blocks yeah, this season. Totally. I thought in this game, when South Alabama would stunt, which is basically when one defensive lineman rushes the passer and another defensive lineman loops around him from a spot they wouldn't normally rush from. We've talked about it on here. You hear stunt, twist, things of that nature. I thought Brooks and the and Wilson and Mahalski actually did a pretty good job picking up the stunts in the interior of the offensive line. I thought in pass pro, the issues were mainly from the tackles when Cooper was at right tackle and Birmingham was at left. But the problem is Brooks has is so up and down in the run game. Yeah. 
And some of the reasons the run plays have gotten stopped this year for no gain or short gain is because of him getting his hands out over his feet. And and then, like I said, if you add in the holding, it's tough to really say much positive about him. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. And it feels unfair in a way to, you know, hammer on two guys when it's, you know, to me, it's, it's all of them, but it's a huge piece. Like we, we thought that these two would, would hold the keys. Yeah. Uh, Moving on from those guys. And, you know, you know, those are two guys that you and I love and we want to do good. It's not, you know, we don't want to trash them. We're just kind of going through our notes on the game. Joe Maholsky, after coming off the Arizona State game, it was disappointing, but I don't think he was terrible. I think he regressed from that game, but I thought he was good in that game. And I think the reason why is the same reason we were like, this is going to come off wrong. <laughs> so help me here, Cade. Yeah, but you bet. We heard all the stuff about Kirkland dominating Oklahoma State, the Oklahoma State offensive line in practice in fall camp. I saw him look really good at the practice I was at. I do think Kirkland's really good. We'll get to that. But I think it's also (laughs) highlighted by the fact that Joe struggles with a strong, true nose guard. And I'm not saying he's not strong. I know that Coach Glass puts up big numbers from this offensive line unit in the weight room. We've heard a lot about that. But he struggles with that true nose. And I think it's more of a combination of strength and kind of intensity off the ball and just a true nose being hard to deal with for any center. I thought it was a regression from Arizona state, but I don't think he played bad. I don't think you said anything out of bounds there. I think it's difficult. It's probably, I've never been a college football coach, but it's probably difficult to not form beliefs and narratives about your team that you find out later are false because of what you saw in spring and fall camp. Like Justin Kirkland has been good, we we kind of thought of him as like, I mean, I'm not going to try to put words in your mouth again, but I was thinking all Big 12 when we started talking about Justin Kirkland, and I'm not seeing that right now. I think he's really a solid nose tackle, but to your point, Dustin, Joe Mahalski does struggle with that, and when the narrative coming out of camp is that Justin Kirkland's an absolute animal and nobody's ever going to be able to block him, it's a good lesson, and you know some of these things are – are not all of what they seem. And I I will say that Mahalski having had a really solid game against Arizona State gives him more credit to me than the two guys next to him on the left side. Like, yeah, he's Mahalski should shown, stay put. He's if we're going to shuffle, shown, he should stay. Yeah, like that. that's exactly it. He, he is the center. And I would say that that alone is a, is a good thing compared to what you had on the other two guys that we just spoke about. Yeah, and he's and the first thing he said, he was one of the guys I got talked to after the game. The first thing he said when asked about what South Alabama did in this game, he said they played more three down, true three down odd front than we thought they would. Well, but I, I mean, he's he been even knows. it all off season, right? Like I, I know, but like he even knows that South Alabama saw something on film that they liked from the way UCA played their three down defense. And brought it over to this game. And and I'm sure it's not just from what UCA. I'm sure they saw other stuff on film. But Joe noted it. Kate, before we move on to, to Taylor McDerko, it still looks like he's snapping it high at times to Bowman. And I oh, think yeah. it might be because Bowman, 
I think it's the same thing as Bowman's throwing motion. <laughs> Do you think he so has limited strong. mobility or he's got just like like T-Rex arms? I think he might have short arms. Wow. Is this the the genesis of the Mason Rudolph has small hands all over again? Uh, who knows? And, you know, Alan, if Alan Bowman ever listened to this, which he 100% does not, <laughs> he's got I'm sure things to do. If, if he ever saw me, he'd just show me how much longer his wingspan is. He would than, just than walk mine. up to you with one hand up and Dunk you would know me, what he's like, at. wherever yeah. I'm at. Yeah. And so, but that was more of a joke, but it did look like he snapped it high a couple of times. But I rewatched those plays multiple times and I cannot tell like who that's on <laughs> well, Bowman having limited mobility or a high snap. Cause it doesn't look like he's ever doing it to Gunner or since the first game, he did a few times the first game, but since the first game, I don't think he's done it to Gunner or Rangel. Yeah. Something, something to watch out for right there, especially if Alan Bowman's your starting quarterback going forward. So yeah, overall, I think Mahalski's done. Okay. I mean, he's, he's probably been maybe one of the most okayest on the offensive line. Yeah, I think that's I think that's solid. So I wanted to hit Materko next just because he played guard and we, we skipped him when we were talking about the left side because he did play 26 snaps at left guard, came in for Jason Brooks. Coach Gundy had great things to say this week about Materko. Said he's probably the most improved offensive lineman. I do think he's gotten better than last year, but he still had in that 26 snaps, I think I had him down for two misses that led to an, a, a not a positive play. And he only played 26 snaps. So I'm going to mark him as an okay grade, but I, I don't know if he's the answer there. I think, I think left guard has to be, they're going to have to pick and we're just going to have to see Brooke with Cooper at left tackle. You're going to have to try out Materko. You gave him 26 snaps. So maybe that was his tryout. You're going to have to try out Brooks there with Cooper and I think you need to try out Birmingham there. So that's all I really had on Materko, unless you had anything else. No. Preston Wilson, he may have been one of the better linemen in this game. He still had a few bad run block situations, but I thought he had the least mistakes overall. And he may have, since you have to count Cooper as both right and left tackle, because I thought Cooper at left tackle was the best lineman of the game, but you have to count his whole game because he played right tackle too. I thought Wilson might have been the best lineman of the day. And... I think he still at times gets blown backwards. He still doesn't hold his block long enough, but he gives effort and he's very smart. Obviously we've talked about how he's played multiple spots on the offensive line and he knows what he's doing. I think he may have had a the best game, like I said, and I think you keep him at right guard. If you're going to do some shuffling, I think so, so far we've said Cooper yeah, at left yeah, tackle yeah. Maholski at center, and I think you keep Wilson at right guard. Well, I I would agree with that completely. It also is is similar to what we saw against Arizona State when he came in. Suddenly, the offensive line seemed to figure things out. Um, I think Wilson is he was last year probably your most important piece. Jason Brooks played well at times, but when Preston was out there, where whether he was at center or guard. You felt good about things with him out there. So I, I would agree with that. And I think we're just, you know, we're we're going to come to the end of this conversation and really feel like your problems are left of center. <laughs> Sorry, Kate, I was on mute there. Couldn't You're good for a second. Classic. But moving on to moving on to Cooper. 
it was it was a true kind of you know I've heard people that know way more about offensive line than me, which it isn't hard to do. <laughs> Not very smart, but that know way more about offensive line than me talk about how the right side versus left side is a big deal for both tackles and guards with how you step, your technique, just kind of how everything goes. And it wouldn't seem like it would be to somebody that doesn't play offensive line. And maybe maybe it plays out next game. Cooper does not look good at left tackle if they play him there. But man, he looked quicker off the snap at left tackle than he did at right. He was staying with those edge rushers. And obviously, South Alabama was bringing pressure at that point in the game. They knew we had to pass then in the last 26 snaps. I thought he looked great. And I thought he had a couple of good run blocks. There was a Nixon zone run where Materko and Cooper create a huge running lane for him right off Cooper's butt. And Nixon, I think it was his best run of the season, vision-wise, makes that cut, takes it upfield, and gets a huge gain. That was mainly due to Cooper. And I think from those 26 snaps... You have got to start him at left tackle next game. Yeah, I mean that's that's the conclusion I'm coming to hearing you talk about this is if you've got an issue there, and that's that is his natural position. He was a two time All Sun Belt guy at left tackle, so it makes a lot of sense. And we we're we're talking about Jake Springfield who has done good enough to play. Like he should be out there in my opinion. And the reason for that is because you've got a problem at left tackle. You've got a guy in Dalton Cooper who we thought in the spring could be competing with Cole Birmingham at that left tackle. We we always thought of him as a potential swing tackle. I think this is playing out in real time where Dalton Cooper's, I mean, he. I think he should be starting at Iowa State at left tackle. Yeah, I, Cooper's got to be there. And like you said with Springfield, you know, he got beat a few times in some limited pass pro snaps. I didn't think he looked amazing. He's coming off of injury, but I do think you put him out there at right tackle next game. If he's full ready to go, Gundy made it sound like they were hopeful. He could practice all week and get out there. It sounded like he was limited last week. I don't love any of the options right now at right tackle, but I think Springfield is, you got to give him a shot if he's healthy. So really, Cade, I think next game you go out there and we can wrap up offensive line and move to running backs if you're good with that after I kick it back to you right here. Yeah, I've got one If final. you have any issues. Maholski at center, Wilson at right guard, Springfield at right tackle, Cooper at left tackle, and then at left guard, I'm assuming they'll probably put Materico out there because of how the end of the game looked as far as blocking compared to the beginning of the game against South Alabama. But personally, I would go Brooks since you already gave Materico a shot with Cooper and see how the Cooper-Brooks pairing on the left side looks. And then if it doesn't work, you could try Birmingham. That doesn't work. Go back to Materico because you know that looked okay. That's probably how I would play it out. The coaches are much smarter than me. But I I do think everything except left guard will look how we set it. If Springfield's healthy. I I love that. I'm going to go more holistically as I've been sitting here thinking for the last three and a half days about, you know, some of this feeling of smoke and mirrors. I I don't think anybody was deceiving us when speaking about, you know, guys are popping long runs in, in camp 
and uh, back into the spring, we were talking about Jaden Nixon going to the house, Elijah Collins getting long runs, and we started to feel really good about the offensive line, right? Well, we've now seen, Dustin, three teams in a row offensively have success running the ball against Oklahoma State. I mean, LaDamian Webb had over 150 yards rushing. Do you think that some of what we heard is some of what we're now seeing where Oklahoma State is struggling to run the ball against who now between, I mean, South Alabama was always going to be your toughest uh, test in the trenches offensively, but they have not ran the ball that well, like what we were hoping and what we were hearing about all season so far. Do you have any thoughts around like what took place in spring and fall? being what's now happening where you're struggling to run the ball against decent defensive fronts and teams are having success running against you, which is what Oklahoma state's offense did against the defense in camp. Yeah. Kate, it's a great point. And I, I don't know the answer to that sure. the thing, the thing that I'm most confused about is that you get down to South Alabama and you still keep kind of the same running scheme that we've seen this season, a lot of last season with a few counters mixed in. And obviously I'm not going to count the QB scrambles and the QB draw. You had the toss, which was interesting and new, but outside of the toss and outside of GT counter, which we actually have seen this year, just not much. And we saw it a couple of times last year, but it was mainly in some play action stuff. You haven't really seen a ton new. You know, you saw the split zone change, which we talked about in the Arizona State game with the tight end motioning from outside to inside. I loved that. But in this game in particular, it was almost more vanilla than the Arizona State game. And I get that they had to start passing it at the end. I get that they only ran 64 plays on offense. But do you get my point? Like, 100%. it was almost like they regressed as far as scheme and interesting yeah, stuff great new stuff that we haven't put on film that could kind of maybe bust a big play when we saw the deep scissors play action which adam Lunt and i talked about that is a play we saw at practice and adam was like that's a new play yes it is we see that play in the game it almost turns into a touchdown if not for the bray drop early in the game and i'm very excited in the stadium like hey that looked awesome here, here comes the scheme changes that we heard about. It's just, and I'm not expecting a complete overhaul of everything because, you know, Casey Dunn's been with this team for a while. Stuff's worked in the past that we're not just going to go away from. We talked about the Y cross route concept, but it was almost like they didn't try anything in this mm -hmm. game, even when they were down. And that was frustrating to me. And kid, you know, I'm not one to jump on Casey Dunn. Nope. And I feel like unless something changes next game, maybe you do start to have to kind of critique him a little bit more, or we do. Sorry, I know, I know a lot of fans do, but we do because there's no way this was the plan coming into the season, and it wasn't at the practice I was at. Right. So it, right. it's just it's kind of blowing my mind. If they come out in Iowa State, though, and change things up just even a little bit more, then, you know, I'm back to kind of seeing what they were doing. I still don't think you should have done it and taken a loss to South Alabama. 
But if they don't, if they keep it like this at Iowa State, and if it, and if it's because of the quarterback rotation, that's even dumber. But I'm going to be really frustrated, and I'm already kind of getting there. Yeah, I am too. And I think I'll say this is what I love about this podcast and talking with you is like I've that's just a, a theory that I've got in my head is like what happened in camp and what we heard about is just like what's happening playing out in real life right now, but you're not on both sides of the ball. And so, no, I, I, I really like that Dustin and I I'm frustrated too. And I think that's an important thing to note is like, you know, we are, I mean, shoot, I don't even know if we need to note this, but I'm going to, this isn't fun. Like this is not fun for me to get on here and, feel like I've got to, you know, call out these things, but I, I do. And, and it's how I feel. I, it's how you feel. And so now I, I appreciate you letting me kind of, you know, run that past you. Yeah. So I know it was a great call out moving on. And, and to be fair, I'm sure I'll mention this again. I, I do think what we said last week, I think they were trying to keep it vanilla in the non-conference and it backfired on them. And we right. said that could happen. I personally expect, and maybe I'm dumb. I am dumb. And I'm sure people, when I say this, are going to be like, you're dumb. I expect to see some new things against Iowa State. Uh, and we'll talk about it more when we get to the quarterback situation. But Dustin, you're not dumb. Let me just come right out and say that. You're not dumb. Running backs, Ollie Gordon, 43% of the snaps. That's the same amount he played at Arizona State percentage-wise. He had three carries for 12 yards. That's four yards per carry. He had two catches on four targets for 13 yards. He had the penalty for the low block on the blitz pickup. You know, they added that rule. Nobody can low block outside the tackle box. He was barely outside. I, I mean, mate. I, you got to call it, but I don't fault Ollie for that. Offensive line, I know we mentioned it during there, but they cannot have that those type of penalties over and over. I think it was like four or five on the offensive line. That one on Ollie, I'll give him a pass for. He's got to be smarter. He's got to know where he's at. Great effort. He's been an awesome pass blocker. Yep. I don't. Th- I mean, do you fault him for that at all? No. I. Those are the things that happen in the course of a game. Like you don't want them, but I. I felt like it was a little bit of a strange call, like maybe just unfamiliar, uncommon. Even Mike Gundy said a little bit like that's in the gray. I would agree with that. I, I didn't love the call. And I like Ollie going in and making that play. And I would encourage it going forward because that's going to get flagged less than 50% of the time. Yeah. And and not saying, not saying it shouldn't have been called just that. Yeah, it's just I'm that not, it, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Right. So 29 snaps was 43%. Three carries, Cade, is too little for Ollie. I will say a couple things on that. 26 snaps where he got no carry. Yeah. So I will say I'm not trying to defend it, but I do want to throw all the stats out at you. Three, I counted three pass plays during his other 26 snaps that were RPO, true RPO. Two were with Bowman, one was with Gundy. So that that's post snap reads. Bowman made the right call to throw both of his. Gunner made the wrong call on one of his, yep. and then there were a couple I think were pre snap leverage reads. 
But I, I didn't want to include those because those are just kind of my take on the play. If the line's run blocking, if it looks like it was a true run play on that side of the field, but the receiver on the other side is either running a quick hitch, quick slant, or a fade, that could be one of those. So there were at least three, possibly four, that I know for sure could have been run plays in his 26 other snaps. Seven carries is still not enough for Ollie. But the other thing I wanted to point out is right when Collins came in, they had, I think it was, I'll pull it up. But right when Collins comes in, he gets the ball on a five-yard carry, then a four-yard carry. And I think that was a little bit of, hey, let's keep him in for a little bit longer, ride the hot hand a little bit. We know he's running hard. We know the offensive line isn't blocking. And I'm not saying that's a reason not to hand it to Ollie. I'm just saying that's, that could be in one of the issues that caused Ollie to get minimal snaps along with some of the RPO stuff or uh, minimal carries along with some of the RPO stuff, but he has got to get more than three carries. And Kate, I think when you go, I'm about to flip it back over to you with this point. I think when you go into the Iowa state game, 43%, I think he's got to be more like 50, 55, 60. And then Elijah Collins has to be your 30, 35 ish, 25 to 35. And then Nixon, and I'm sure my math isn't going to add up here, but <laughs> Nixon's got to get your other 10 to 15. Yeah. Because Jaden Nixon played 31% of the snaps and Collins played 26. Yeah, that does so he not played more percentage than Collins. And I know we're talking Ollie right now, but I, I think next game has to be the, hey, or I guess you could, you, if, you're handling Iowa State. You could wait till after the bye for Kansas State. But at some point, Ollie and Collins have to take 85% of the snaps, 80 to 95, 85 to 90% of the snaps, and Nixon gets the rest as kind of your gadget situational back, as we saw him score on the fake fullback dive toss. Yeah, I think that needs to be this week, too, against a physical Iowa State defense. Iowa State's not good. But that defense is still solid, I th I think, right? Like, they're probably still going to be pretty good up there. You've got to have physical running backs who can hold on to the ball um, and, and let Jaden Nixon be more of that gadget, you know, you've got an installed play for him. Because otherwise, I, I have totally cooled on what I thought he was going to be able to provide this team. Um, and it's, it's less his fault, more the fault of the – the offensive line and what we've seen through three games so far. And that could change. That could change if you, you know, hammer Iowa state with the run and, and some new counter stuff. And then Nixon pops a long one because everybody's worn down. I just don't think that's going to be the case after having seen it. That's what I hoped, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I thought I'll, before we moved to Collins and Nixon thought Ollie had one bad pass pro situation where he had kind of a whiff on his GH counter run. He got four yards there was one guy, it was actually blocked pretty well. And there was one guy he could have, if he breaks that tackle, it's a 10 plus yard run. But he didn't, I, I mean, he still got four yards on it and he did have a nice cut on a zone run. But to Collins, 26% of the snaps, again, the fact that he had less snaps than Nixon, less percentage is confusing to me. Nine carries, 31 yards, 3.4 yards per carry, no receptions. He had a really nice run on GT counter, very powerful, just continued moving his feet. We talked about 
how he's got the good balance, the powerful lower body. I thought he was decent. I thought he was good in pass pro this game. And I still, I, I've wrote, I've written this note every single game. He is such a good running back two to Ollie's running back one. Yeah, fully agree with you on that. I, I he hasn't done anything to me to warrant less time. And on to Nixon, he had thirty-one percent of the snaps, five carries, twenty-three yards, four point six yards per carry, two catches on four targets for eight yards. But, Kate, it's kind of the same stuff. First run of the game, I thought he had a running lane to the field side. You can go back and watch. It's the very first run of the game. Cut back. It's blocked. It's actually blocked okay to kind of the play side. But South Alabama had numbers because they had their bandit, defensive end, Jamie Sheriff, number 10. He's not blocked because we didn't have enough guys to block him. So he's standing there. There is a hole, but he's able to kind of jump it. Where on the other side, Quentin Stewart was the H-back to the field side. He blocked up on the linebacker. The right side of the line blocked well. Nixon had the ball in time to be able to see that. And it's not even really a cut back. It would have just been kind of backside run. And he doesn't see it. And if he makes that cut, the boundary, I think the, the Husky linebacker, Yam Banks was right, was the overhang but he's you know six, seven yards away from him. I think Nixon gets at least six, seven yards on that run. Instead, he gets zero. He basically runs right into Sheriff. And that's just kind of, I think that's kind of been the story of the season yeah. for him. Running zone and running counter, anything where he's not able to kind of get a full head of steam out to the perimeter. Yeah, it literally seems like he needs to be able to get through untouched and already at full speed. Otherwise... There's there's not a lot going on, and I, I think it's why you and I have arrived at the conclusion of it's it's Ollie one Collins two, and and Nixon's got to be at least to me something a little bit more imaginative because I, to me like he would he may be a better fit in a you know like an a slot type of situation where you motion him into the backfield or like at this point I don't I don't think he can be your running back out of the backfield. I just don't think yeah. so. And, and in pass pro, he, he had a bad pass pro situation on Bowman's interception. I thought he had a good block later in the game. He got the check down twice with one guy in space. Yep. And this is your speed guy, your agility guy, yep. and he's not able to make him miss. I thought he had a bad, I thought he had some bad vision on a later zone run. It was just kind of, and you know, outside of his 16 yard run, which it's hilarious. We're talking about him like this. And he had the longest run of the right. day in the touchdown outside of that 16 yard run that I talked about earlier when they made the switch with Materico and Cooper into the game on the left side and the GH counter run from Collins that I talked about the powerful run. Oklahoma State had no other runs go for more than five yards on the day. Oh, and they only had one run for 10 plus yards. This was the issue last season. They weren't able to break any long runs. Yeah, and that's that's why I'm that's really the main frustration for me is that the things that were evident last year are squarely in your face again this year. And you know, the question then becomes what did you do to fix that? Did you do the bare minimum to try, or did you actually like fully commit to fixing this? Because I'm starting to wonder. 
So, Cade, I I don't really have any other takes on the running backs. I thought Collins and Gordon played good in in what they were asked to do. I think they both of I mean, them probably need more carries, but I, I definitely like think Ollie does. Seventeen carries between the three of them. It's just yeah, not for a, sixty-six yards. The sample size that I can't look at and be like, well. The running backs stink or the running backs are awesome. I would agree with you. I think they were fine, but it's like, I, it's not what I thought I was going to see. And it's at such a smaller sample size that it's just still difficult for me to evaluate them. Yeah. If you, if you take out the sacks, you had 126 yards total rushing, which is 5.0 yards per carry. But the problem with doing that is you had 45 yards come off of true scrambles. Well, right. And, so and it, if you're not going to count the sacks, it feels weird to count the scrambles in that. We haven't had that this year. That's why I haven't had to make that note. Right. But that's why I break scrambles out when I put the Twitter thread, because that needs to be shown. I would agree with that. And what it also, I think when you do that, and this is what, like what numbers do to you in a business sense. If you don't know the full picture, you can absolutely go down the wrong path. Where it's like, well, we need to get the quarterbacks running more. Well, those are those are sometimes mostly broken plays that are not always the offensive line's fault. Like it's even like a quarterback making a decision where it's like, I, I gotta go now, and you really didn't have to. So the whole thing is just like a little bit of a mess to try to to try to really break this down. Yeah. I mean, and if you take out the if you take out the sacks. And kneel down for USA, they had like 290 yards rushing, 280 <laughs> yards rushing. So it, that, right. Oklahoma State only had 208 yards of offense on the day, total offense. That kind of gets so, back to what I was saying about like OSU's inability to run the football. And that's like some cognitive dissonance between what happened at camp and now. It's like, this is what's playing out. 280 rushing yards, that's insane. Yeah. And I don't even think we've said the final score. It was 33 to seven, by the way. <laughs> if you weren't watching, <laughs> I know so, I wouldn't blame you. I mean, honestly. So, Cade, let's go like if you're cool with it, like we did last week, we'll do quarterbacks, then we'll talk receivers and tight ends to kind of wrap it up because not, not as many notes on tight ends and fullbacks. The fullbacks actually only played, I think, 17 snaps total. It was their least of the season. So, not a ton of notes on them. I know we've normally gone quarterback order of discussion. We've talked about them about who played first, but I think we should start with Gunner this time because he played so many more snaps than everybody else. Is that is yeah. that good with you? Yeah, that's fine. So he played 43% of the total. Sorry, say 43. Sorry, 57%. Of the total snaps in this game. Bowman played 29. Rangel with the nine snaps only played 13. So that gets you to 100%. Before this game, no quarterback had played more than 37%. And the range had been between 37 and 30 for all three every game. So this was the largest disparity between each quarterback for percentages. And the highest percentage for any quarterback and over half of the snaps went to that quarterback. So that's 39 plays. That's including the penalties. That's how PFF does it. 37 plays total that weren't penalties for 133 yards, 3.6 yards per play. 
He was nine for 18 passing for 64 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, pretty even run pass split for him. As far as plays ran, he had 11 running back rushes for 50 yards for 4.5 yards per carry highest percentage of, and he had the highest percentage of snaps with Nixon Bowman actually had the highest percentage of snaps with Gordon. This game, most of those came in kind of the first two drives and Gunner was three for eight on third down. Kate, I want to throw it back over to you, but I do think, and this is going to sound like sarcastic when I say it, but the one positive, I think, from the quarterback situation that you can take away, and it's not truly a positive, it's definitely not a positive for Gunner Gundy, but I think that he's the first QB, and I get the offensive line had issues protecting. Coach Gundy and Casey Dunn said as much. I get that the receivers had some trouble running routes, against zone coverage, against the disguises. Talked about South Alabama saying they were slow off the line. But because he got 57% of the snaps, because he played 37 of the 64 plays, I think that you were able to gather in from this game that he's probably not the guy going forward. And I know Coach Gundy said they're probably going to keep their QB rotation going into Iowa State. But for me, and there's people... The coaching staff's much smarter than me, but it's you and I on this podcast. I I don't think until Bowman and Rangel get to play 50 plus percent of the snaps, I don't think Gundy should get Gunner should get another full series besides some, you know, kind of JW Walsh special packages, which I'm fine with that. But I don't think he should be given another shot until you give Bowman and Rangel 50% plus of the snaps. Is that fair? It's a hundred percent fair because this was not fair. If you looked at the way this has gone through the last two games, this was not fair to a guy like Garrett Rangel. So I've tried to go in eyes wide open to this three quarterback mess, which it now is officially a mess. And Dustin, you're much, you were much more uh, amicable than I, I think I want to be about this because it's, if I'm Garrett Rangel and I'm sitting there watching that, what's going through my mind? Like, was I told that I'm about to get, what did you say he had? 9%? What was his percentage? He, had nine, he only had nine snaps. And nine snaps. To, to caveat that, Cade, we, we were told, Gundy said he missed a practice, he was sick, and we've heard some rumors that we cannot confirm that he might have been more sick than Gundy led on to. But... No, it's still That's your fair. point is well taken. I'll throw it back to you. That's fair. If it's Gunner or if it's Garrett, great. I would also say the exact same thing for Alan Bowman. Like it doesn't have to be Garrett in this case. I would, if I'm Alan Bowman and I got 23% of the snaps or whatever that number ends up being, I'm also wondering why is my leash so tight where I got yanked at Arizona State after we scored a touchdown? And this with Gunner seems to be a little bit more flimsy where uh, we're going to throw him an extra series because the one at the end of the half was a little bit, you know, uh, he only got a couple of snaps when it was when a the three numbers, and out though, when the I numbers mean, shake out the 57% of the yeah. snaps that it's, it's not even. And what this did is now, now what I experienced in Boone Pickens stadium was everybody in the stadium picking a side that, I, I think is maybe the most toxic environment I've been in in Boone Pickens Stadium simply because of that. 
Like you've, you've played this out in public for everybody to see when I think you arrived at what you already knew. We saw this last year. We saw this last year. You didn't need 57% of the snaps against South Alabama to figure this out. Yeah. And Kate, that's, that's what we talked about on the last podcast. I think Gunner, I watched him in high school. I did a full, I think I watched five of his games to do the Twitter breakdown on Gunnar Gundy, who I knew was coming here anyway. I normally do it for every quarterback, though, so I wanted to do it for him. thought he looked really good. He had a very good career at Stillwater High. I've gotten to watch two full practices, one from his very first year and then one from last year, this year. And we saw him play last year multiple times. I didn't think going into the season until Mike Gundy said all three were going to rotate until we saw it in the first game, I didn't think that he should be in the QB competition. No shot at Gunner, just based on talent alone. However, I do think I was a, a little bit wrong in the fact that I think he looks much improved from where he was at last year. Even from what I saw from that one practice this year, he looks much calmer. He's obviously a really good runner. He scrambles well. He can get into the open field. He runs that QB draw play better than... I, I mean, Spencer Sanders, maybe even better than Spencer Sanders ran it. Cause we, I think I pointed out on Twitter multiple, multiple times when I think Sanders made the wrong read there, even though Sanders was great at it. But all that to say in this game, you just walking through every si- single play, you know, first pass overthrow, you could say green rounded out his route a little bit, but it's a speed out. He's supposed to run it like that. Check down where, if you go back and look at the video on the check down, he looks to the middle of the field, but we can't see it. And then when they pan up instantly right after that, they were in zone coverage in the middle of the field looked open. I can't fault them for that because I, I don't have the all 22. I just wanted to point it out. Then you've got the sack, not on him. Then you've got a run play. Then you have him scrambling, run play, Chetron with the drop. Then I have a throw into coverage, a miscommunication with Presley. QB draw, sack, run, terrible throw to Shetron, scramble, wrong pre-snap RPO read, which I sent you a video of, quick screen RPO, maybe the worst throw of the entire season, including Bowman's interception, because we know that was miscommunication, to Bray, where he it was third and two, Ollie, the check down was open, and one of the crossers, I believe it was Shetron, was open at the yard marker, not to mention that Gunner had just scrambled in a similar pocket situation early in the game or earlier on the drive when the middle opened up. That happened as well, and he only, they only needed two yards. He instead forces it into Bray, and it's it should have been picked two times, but for sure the first time it hit the guy right in the hands. And you've got a screen. You've got a bad route from Owens, which also was a bad throw. Stack, screen, check down to Johnson, screen, check down, run, slow progression that led to an incompletion to Josiah Johnson, which I also sent you a video of. Yep. Good pass to Shetron. Zone read, he made the wrong read on a give pull. Throw away, screen, run, run. Delay of game where he tries to put someone in motion with three seconds left on the play clock. Draw RPO, fade, incomplete, run, run. Yeah, great. That that's that's every single play. And I know that was probably really annoying for me to do. <laughs> but I, I mean, there were maybe three positive plays there. And I think I noted five or six wrong decisions. 
And I'm not saying I'm 100% right, but I, I sent the same videos, Kate, I sent yeah. to you, to people that know more football than me, which isn't hard to do. I've noted that earlier. And they agreed, and they had some even harsher takes than I do on Gunner Gunny's performance from this game. And and it's almost like performance notwithstanding, we've been told that this is about you know an equal competition in game setting. That's not equal. That that was not equal. It's certainly, if Garrett was sick, okay, make it equal between Alan Bowman and Gunner Gundy. Make that equal because I didn't see Alan Bowman do much to warrant getting yanked out of that game, similar to how I felt about his his departure against Arizona State. So the entire thing is um I, I really am to the point where it's it's a bit of an abomination. I know that's strong for us and for me, but I, I have no idea what what this and was supposed to accomplish. The Shetron drop, him Gundy throwing that in the cover two hole. Shetron's route wasn't terrible either. They get in the hole between the co flat corner and the safety who has that deep half. That was a good throw. Shetron should have caught that. Absolutely. It, it, he probably, I mean, I didn't watch the replay. We'll get to times, the receivers. That they they yeah. are part of this. But and and here's the thing, Kate. I know me running through that sounded really sarcastic, really harsh. I don't, I'm not saying it's the worst game from a quarterback I've ever seen, but I don't think you can watch that and not give Bowman and Rangel or Bowman or Rangel a shot to have that many snaps, that high percentage of snaps in a game after seeing what Gunner Gunny did. I'm, neither of them, I don't think, have won the job outright either. And I think that's why it's such a, like you said, kind of taking sides thing. But to give Gunner another shot at an equal number of snaps as the other guys after that performance, I think is a little bit unfair to your point. I, I, I would, I would agree. And my question remains like, you know, I heard, I heard people booing, not just the quarterback situation as a whole, but like specifically booing a guy like Alan Bowman, who <laughs> hasn't played great, but Dustin, he's made at least to me, like one bad throw, like one bad, bad, no, no decision. Yeah. And I don't even know if it was a decision. It feels like the wrong route was ran. So that's what I think this thing ultimately it that's the failure is you've had this public quarterback battle. And this is why people don't do this is because now you've got these short-sighted opinions of, of guys out there and you get people taking sides very quickly and talking about the oxygen sucking out of a stadium. If your guy doesn't run out there on the next series, you're 33% of the stadium who's disagreeing with him being out there. This whole thing's stupid. Kate, I, I rewatched the game three times in the second game, my notes on Gunnar Gundy and, and some of them on Alan Bowman were very critical. And I went back and watched it again and kind of realized I was a little harsh because I was still mad about the outcome of the game. Cause you have to remember Kate and I are not part of the media. We're fans. Hell no. And it's tough to watch a butt whooping like this. I think I was really fair in my analysis of Gunnar Gundy. I'm not saying if Bowman and Rangel don't perform good that he should never get another shot. I'm just saying they have to be given this same shot. I get Rangel was sick. I get all of that. But watching this performance and giving keeping him in the QB rotation, I, I just think doesn't make sense. But you're, you you segued us perfectly to Bowman if you're good there, unless you have no, anything else on Gunnar. No, no, no. Okay. 
I've got 19 plays for Bowman, 61 yards, 3.2 yards per play. He was six for 12 for 42 yards, one interception. Running back rushes, he had 10 rushes for 32 yards, 3.2 yards per carry. Fairly even run class split. It was 63-37, but I talked about the RPOs where he made the right decision to pass, but it's not as much as the ASU game where they were, what did I say, like 15 of his 17 dropbacks were true pass. Mm -hmm. So the play calling was, I don't think you can point that out this time. I do think it was a little bit more even between Gundy and Bowman, obviously. I don't even think we break down Rangel from this game yeah, I, I on agree. nine snaps. So we can we can skip him for next week. He had, uh, here's my breakdown on him, Cade. Couple of bad throws. Yeah. He had one really, really nice throw to Bray. And other than that, I, apparently I mean, two five passes. Consideration, so. yeah, yeah, so we'll, we'll skip Rangel for this week. So, Ten, I think I had 10 of his attempts were true pass. And I think that's 10 of 12, but there were the other two were true RPO. One for five on third down. I thought I talked about it earlier. Great job recognizing that corner blitz, rolling away from it and making the making the throw on the very first play. He had a nice RPO throw, great read on the hitch. He had a really good throw to Josiah. He had the Bray drop on my favorite play of the day, maybe my favorite play of the season, play action scissors which is kind of like a deep mesh it's normally scissors you think about scissors it's on the same side of the field this was more like a deep crossing pattern where the guys kind of slap hands and cross it's a good man beater and it's actually a good cover two beater when you run it deeper like that because you can get bray into that hole in between the safety and the corner and in this case both safeties went with scribbling the other way so you didn't even need to get into a hole he was just wide open he had a poor throw to Stribling on the injury. That was a little high. I yeah. get what he was trying to do. Again, cover two hole. He threw it over the corner, so he let it go a little high. I also think he thought that was a free play. I did, and it looked like it on the replay that it was offsides on USA. There's a screen pass that gets blown up. There was a poor – I thought it was a poor route from Bray on the slant RPO. It was the right read from Bowman because the linebacker came in giving him the throwing lane, the conflict player to that side. But Bray ran his slant like into the DB. He should have broken that off, which I think was kind of the same thing Shetron should have done on the interception, which Shetron talked about it. Dunn talked about it. Gundy talked about it. All three of them blame Shetron. So, I watched it a million times. Bowman looks to his left first. And Kate, please, if you disagree with this at all, please tell me. He looks to his I thought at first when I watched the replay that Bowman got confused on the coverage. And maybe he did, but he looks left first. He sees the safety that was half and half, who we talked about earlier, drop deep into the cover two zone on that side, that half of the field. He sees the corner sit and he turns back to the right knowing it's probably cover two all around because they had already played cover two multiple times. It could be cover six. So, you know, you got to look. He's having a little bit of pressure in his face, but it looked like Shetron should have, and Shetron said as much, should have broken that slant or in route and kept coming because the pressure came from that side. So Bowman had the throwing lane, but because Shetron kept going upfield, the corner sitting right there in the flat, and Bowman threw it literally right to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no that that's what that's what I saw. I mean, it's it's not 
unimaginable too with a young guy like Talon Shetron. Like my first thought was that's on Shetron because he's the young guy of the of the two, and that's the way I feel after having seen this. And I get it's an anticipation throw, but Bowman, I, I do see the other side. Like Bowman, it looked like he had a second to realize that Chetron was running upfield. It wasn't a true anticipation throw. He was down I mean, the field was, enough to know that he may not be breaking right, this like, off. Yeah. Bowman didn't make enough of an anticipated throw is what I'm saying to not have had a second to pull it back. So a little bit on Bowman, I think as well, but talking about anticipation throws, that's one of the main differences I think between Gunnar Gundy and Alan Bowman. Bowman is not afraid to make the throw before the receiver is coming out of his break. And Gunnar Gundy, as we talked about the slow progressions, you mentioned it before I did. Yep. I think that's one of his biggest weaknesses that I haven't really seen talked about in a lot of spots. And I'm not calling anybody out for that, but I think it needs to be talked about because it led to some almost interceptions, like like talking about that Josiah Johnson one. Yep. And that one's not really anticipation. That's more anticipating the coverage. But I didn't think Bowman was bad. I didn't think he was great. He looked awesome on that first drive. And I think that drop seemed to kind of hurt his confidence, which I think is it would what hurt happened my earlier in the I'm season. Being honest. Yeah. It would hurt my feelings if I'd been sitting through this, you know, uh, situation at quarterback and then your receiver gets a, a nice play call, by the way, schemed up that opening drive did exactly what Casey Dunn was trying to get it to do. And your guy just dropped flat out drops the ball, which is a thing with Jaden Bray apparently. So yes, I would totally imagine that it shook Bowman a little bit. It actually, Dustin, I felt like when it happened, it's like, well, circle that one. But I didn't know it was going to be a 33 to seven type of game that it ended up being. It just, the the whole thing went away from him after that. Yeah. It's just, I don't think Bowman won the job in this game by any means. And I'm not trying to say that by my critiques of Gunnar Gundy. I think Gunnar Gundy should lose a chance to kind of be in the rotation next game. And I, I don't know if it's going to happen. We'll give Alan Bowman 57%. Let's do yeah, that next that, week. That, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And, you know, they don't have to do what we say, Cade. We're just two guys on a podcast. I just thought it was fair. I just thought we were yeah. calling out what's fair. And that's kind of, I think we went through, I think I went through all of Bowman and <laughs> Rangel or, and Gundy's pass plays. So I'm good there, Kate, if you want to do receivers and kind of wrap yeah, up the offense. If, I, I if we don't, say, I'll probably piss somebody off. So yeah. <laughs> you talked first drive. They obviously, we talked about it on the preview pod. They wanted to throw the football at this secondary. Yeah. That's yeah. what they wanted to do. And South Alabama did not want them to throw it deep because that's where they got hurt against Tulane. That's where they got hurt against Southeastern. So I get it from Oklahoma State standpoint, and I get it from how South Alabama called the game on yeah. that early. I I, so. I think Dustin, the reason that I mean, it's it's not. I heard I heard the radio talking about this, and it was irritating me coming back home. Like if they hit on that pass, what happens? I mean, they are one of the worst pass defending teams in football in college football right now. If you hit on that. There's a total avenue where they make an adjustment defensively that you were trying to force them into, and all of a sudden that safety can't shade over anymore, and the ball you running the ball becomes easier. I, I don't think that's the difference in the game at all. I'm just saying it may make things look a little bit different. But you know, Dustin, I, I not to get right to Jaden Bray, but 
we talked about him all offseason as kind of an X-factor type of guy. Through three games, what I was afraid of was that we were assuming based on a small sample size and some freakish ability that we were assuming something about him as like his long-term trajectory. And I think that might be coming true for me, at least like the drops are a bad, a bad thing. Yeah. The drop, you cannot have those drops. Casey said as much, it will mess with you going forward. Yeah. You cannot have those drops. Kate, what my big, and just to read off his stats, just real quick, 11 targets, five catches, 42 yards. I, that's not a great catch percentage there either, but the drops are huge, and that's, you know, calling that out first, perfect point by you. I thought he looked uncomfortable running routes against zone coverage, which is funny, not funny in a good way, but we talked so much last year about how Bryson Green and Braden Johnson could not run routes and get separation against man coverage. And we've talked early this year about how Bray and Stribling can get separation against man coverage. Well, then you throw some disguises out there, some cover two, moving the corner into press, but having him drop into zone, which you called out earlier, some of that kind of trailing that the cornerbacks were doing that Gundy talked about, some of that kind of press bail. He looked very uncomfortable. And to the point where that defensive back for South Alabama said, our receivers look so off the ball, I think Bray, for maybe the whole first half, was confused. Wow. I, I do think you're probably right. I, when you said that, it reminded me of the way the wide receivers looked in 2021 early on. You were breaking in a young Rashad Owens, a Cabinus. I mean, uh, I think I who would have been the other ones? Bryson Green would have been part of that, where you've got these kind of option routes against zone coverage. And I, one jumps out at me that Rashad Owens ran against Texas that Spencer Sanders got lamb blasted for when it's the wrong route. The receiver ran the wrong route. This is a thing. I mean, we, we've seen these young receivers struggle. And so while the talent is there for a guy like Jaden Bray and Talon Shetron, there's that intangible aspect too of knowing how to sit down in the zone, how to find the soft spot. Nonetheless, that's just not there right now. Yeah, I do think, you know, when he runs the quick hitch or the curl, which is basically the same route, but like farther upfield and then you come back to the ball, even against zone, he was able to get separation there. And that's where you see him make a bulk of his catches. But when you're asking him to kind of do what Shetron and Stribling have done against zone into that cover two hole, he had some issues there kind of with spacing to the sideline, where to go exactly. Like I mentioned, he ran that glance or that kind of deeper slant route too deep. I just think there were some issues there, but I think those are correctable issues. They are. We've he seen hasn't gone up against that this year. You yeah. mentioned he hasn't played a ton of snaps. I'm not trying to give him an out, but if he cleans up the drops, I still think these Stribling, Shetron, and Bray are more talented than what we had last year on the outside. Talent, no question. I think the 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 head is what's missing. Stribbling, speaking of him, injured after five snaps. Gundy made it sound like he was going to be back this week. We'll see. We haven't heard anything. I hope he is because he's been great. Brennan Presley, four targets, two catches, eight yards. Kate, I, I mean, my two notes are, or three notes are try to get him the ball more. 
no matter if the defense is keying on him or not. You got to scheme him up. Gives good effort blocking, <laughs> which is probably a sad note that I have to give for Brendan Presley because I don't have many. And then I just wrote for all the receivers needs to do a better job of finding space and zone coverage. And I, I do think Presley probably didn't do a great job of it in this game, but he did, you know, he, he didn't really come off the screen. They didn't really try to scheme him up at all. And that kind of goes back to some of my criticisms of Dunn from earlier in the game. Well, a hundred percent. As we've been sitting here, I've just been trying to think through the Jaden Bray kind of conundrum, not to kind of backtrack a little bit, but he's got 32 career catches. So to like, he he's a young guy, but Dustin, his yards per catch in 2021 was 20.1 yards. Do you know what yeah. his yard per catch is right now in 2023? 11.4. So do do they have him doing things to your point that are not his strength? not playing into where he's most valuable, which we've thought was down the field. I mean, it just, it feels like another square peg round whole thing. And especially if the drops are going to be there, it's just frustrating. Yeah. And you can throw deep against cover two, right? You've got to do it with multiple deep routes. With like you saw the deep, deep scissors. scissors. Yeah. Which, you know, that, that ends up being a bust from one of those safeties, but it still would have worked. It just wouldn't have been, you know, probably deep. It wouldn't have been a touchdown if he doesn't drop it is my point. Yeah. There would have been a safety behind him, but you can throw deep. Iowa state threw deep against Ohio in a cover two Our sorry, Ohio threw deep against Iowa state in a cover two by sending kind of two deep routes, one deep post, and then one up the sideline. There's ways to do it. And Oklahoma state just has not schemed those up this year. I, it just, I, I'm going to, I'm going to stop on the scheme until we get through Iowa state because there's no way this could be the plan for the whole season. But yeah. again, it was post curl fade, curl flat, wide receiver screen, the cover two beaters we talked about. We saw mesh. We saw the regular mesh and we saw the scissors, our hitch RPO, zone glance RPO, and Y cross, which are all things we've seen all season. 80% straight drop back with no play action or post snap RPO. The thing is, though, Cade, why play action? If you can't run the ball, it's not. Gonna yeah, do I don't anything. know. So it's, I, I just wanted to hit on the pass game scheme for a second, but I, I don't know. I don't really have any more notes on Presley besides they got to get him the ball more. Blaine Green only had one target on that throw from Gunner, which was a little overthrown on the out route. He's a decent blocker. I get why he's out there in 10 personnel. Owens ran a bad route, I think, on that throw from Gundy. He's got to find the hole in the zone there. Again, that was my note on him. And then on the throw where he catches the crosser, Ollie actually missed the block on that. So I, I wouldn't really count that on Owens why it only gained one yard or whatever. And then lastly, I think Shetron, one catch on six, six targets for 15 yards. I think that's just his inexperience showing against a defense that was trying to throw some confusion out there. But as the game went on, that's not really an excuse He's got to make that catch. I thought he was extending his routes a little bit too much and not, like you said, finding the spot in the zone. I, I just thought probably an okay game from him. And then if you throw the interception in there and that was truly on him, maybe it turns into more of a bad game overall from him. But he's gotten thrown in there because Stribling was out. He's not the starter. So I, I'm not going to go like it. You know, 
big time down on him for that. Here's here's the thing. The offense was so bad on Saturday that you could point to the receivers, you could point to the quarterbacks, you could point to the running backs, you could point to the offensive line. That to me says enough. Like that <laughs> yes, everybody's got issues, everybody's trying, but you talk about like, you know, you've got guys running the wrong routes, not playing smart, not reading the defense correctly. This is just all a bit of a mess, and I, I, I hope it gets fixed in in three days of practice. But I'm, I'm not optimistic. I honestly think we skip the fullbacks. K. They only played seventeen that's total fine. snaps. Yeah, Jake fine. Schultz only had five. Cassidy, I, I thought he had one tough run blocking play. I thought otherwise he looked pretty good. Josiah Johnson, if he doesn't have the hold, Cade, this is his best game. Yes, two 100%. catches for twenty five yards, four targets. The drop that he had, if Gunner throws that earlier, I've already talked about this play like four times. If Gunner sees number one isn't open and gets his eyes back to the middle of the field faster, that's a huge gain for Johnson. We heard he had some drop issues at fall camp. He's made every catch that, I mean, every ball that's been catchable, I think he's made the catch. And I think he's shown some more pop in the run game. I'm not saying he's a great run blocker. He's completely turned it around. But I do think he's shown some more pop. If he doesn't have the holding on the deep throw from Gunner to Shetron, I think it's a, his best game of the season. Yeah, and if you're able to start finding success running the ball, I think his role only grows, right? Like he could become all of a sudden a wet. I think he's pretty good with the ball in his hands, but we just don't get to see it a whole lot. Yeah, Stewart, I thought, you know, looked good at times. That Nixon run that I was talking about. And then he had one whiff on a GH counter that caused the play to blow up. So... Kate, I mean, you gotta you gotta calm down on the penalties, but other than that, I I don't really have a way to summarize the offense because of kind of what I do we talked about. I do. <laughs> it's terrible. But the Gundy, tomorrow, Gundy tomorrow a turn noise. from Mike Gundy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, flipping to the defensive side. Well, let's real quick hear a word from our sponsor, and then we'll go to the defensive side of the ball. We want to say a quick thank you to sponsor the Feels Like 45 podcast, Classic Overland. Classic Overland specializes in restoring original Land Rover Defenders designed with your unique style and specifications. They go to great lengths to find quality vintage Defenders before they begin the restoration process, and their team of experts will guide you through the various exterior and interior options to create the perfect build. Our friends Luke Reed and Robert Dennis of Classic Overland are both Oklahoma State graduates and will work with you through the process to ensure you have a great experience. And in addition, if you purchase a Classic Overland Defender and mention this podcast, the Feels Like 45 podcast, their team will donate a portion of the proceeds to the Pokes with a Purpose NIL Collective. To learn more, you can visit their website, classicoverland.com, and you can contact Luke and Robert at robert at classicoverland.com. Thank you. And go Pokes. All right, Cade. Flipping to the defense. They give up 23 points in the first half. A ton of long third down conversions. And then they only give up 10 in the fourth. And really, that last touchdown just seemed like it was pure frustration from this defense. I, I thought they looked much better in the second half, but gave up 243 rush yards. That's with sacks. 
and the kneel included 5.2 yards per carry, not as much through the air, but Carter only threw it 16 times. So what was your just general kind of overall game take on the defense before we get in the scheme? I think that I do disagree with Mike Gundy's overall thought that they were not, you know, bullied. That's not the word he said, but he thought that they were not like out physicaled. I th- I thought they were. I thought that South Alabama came in with by far the best offensive line that Oklahoma State's seen, and it may have caught them by surprise because what South Alabama tried to do was establish the run and suck the defense up and hit you over the top, and that is exactly what they did. So for me, it's like, yeah, they they were more physical than you, and and it was all up front to me. Yeah, we we said you had to stop the run and you had to take away Colin Lacey. Well, they gave up. They let Ladanian Webb no, they rush did not for eight point four yards per carry, and Colin Lacey had one hundred and four yards on five catches and, I think, and two touchdowns. I think Dustin, that happens together. Like if you are able to stop the run, it all of a sudden becomes easier to slow a guy like Colin Lacey down. But if you can't slow the run down, all of a sudden you have to commit another guy solely to guarding him one on one, and he's a pretty talented guy. So this is all together. What it looked like to me, Cade, and Coach Nardo kind of alluded to this after the game, is that they tried to get almost too smart on defense. They tried to kind of scheme up too much to stop South Alabama, and they didn't just kind of run their scheme mm. and make South Alabama beat them. And you know, a couple, a couple of ways that I saw this early is South Alabama, you know, I don't think they did too much different than they normally do formation-wise on offense. We talked about tight ends, but they like to kind of spread it out with those tight ends. Talked about it being similar to the Alabama offenses, the Texas offense, got kind of that Sarkeesian, you know, with Major Applewhite running the show. Think of that offense is what we said. I thought Major Applewhite's game plan was great. So he's spreading out early, still having the tight end out there. Still having some H back, having the tight end split wide, motion back in. But what they were doing is kind of overloading one side. So trips and maybe the tight end, a nub tight end on the other side. So that means just the tight end by himself or even the tight end to the trip side. So then it's basically quads to that side. Spreading Oklahoma State out and bringing Kendall Daniels out of the box. So you have to have him nine to 10 yards off the ball. He's lined up over near the trip side of the formation. Spreading the linebackers out, which I thought I think was an adjustment Nardo was making to try to stop this deep this offense. So you have not only do you have Vincent kind of normally in that overhang spot, but you have Oliver kind of if they had the tight end to the other side, Oliver was kind of lined up over him to the outside. So then it's Nick Martin by himself in the middle, Kendall Daniels ten yards off the ball, and what they were doing is they were taking two guys and pushing. Justin Kirkland and Colin Clay out of the way with a double team. And then inserting, instead of split zone, which we talked about where the H-back comes across the formation and kicks out the edge, they were taking that H-back tight end and sending him right off that double team's butt up to block Nick Martin. Then the next closest guy to the ball is your Kendall Daniels safety that's an, or, or Rawls or Rucker that have started off the play 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. So... Yeah. It, it was almost like Nardo schemed something up to stop South Alabama and Major Applewhite said, well, then I'm just going to kind of 
tweak our run game slightly and make it to where your safeties are going to have to, your three high safeties are going to have to tackle this running back coming from 10 to 12 yards off the ball. Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic breakdown. And it's what, if you watch it in real time and you don't go back and watch the tape, that's what it felt like, right? Like it felt like you're, you're one guy away from making a tackler. This, this run is going the distance and it happened against Oklahoma state several times. And the RPO stuff, Cade, Central Arkansas did the same thing. They've got to figure out how to stop the hitch and glance RPO and stop those quick throws to the tight end and the slot. There's ways to do it, and they adjusted in the second half. I, in the second half, they t- they would take when when South Alabama would have the kind of nub tight end and the trips, Oklahoma State would take the cornerback from the other side of the field. So say it's on one side, they'd take Cam Smith over and line him up over one of the receivers and leave no defensive back to the boundary side. And and it was because they were like, hey, we're just going to press man so you can't throw those RPOs anymore. And now because we're using this cornerback, we can bring Kendall Daniels back into the box because we have an extra defensive back over here. They had to do that. That was their main halftime adjustment because if they didn't, South Alabama is going to continue running it on RPO plays, so either handing it off if the linebacker Benson or Robertson widened or throwing it if that player came back into the box because they knew the safeties couldn't help from how deep they were and they knew they had room to throw because there was no press coverage. Yeah, it seemed like in the first half, they were keying on the things that Oklahoma State has already struggled with, right? Like you, you mentioned what Central Arkansas was able to do. Well, I, I literally felt like there were a couple plays in in the first half of the South Alabama game that were straight out of the playbook from practice all week. Like it was to the point where I was like, I felt like uh, Womack told the the wide receiver to take six and a half steps and stand right here because you're going to have room. And it was just perfectly executed. So I would totally agree with Mike Gundy that they got out coached in that regard because I just thought that South Alabama was was as crisp as it gets in their offensive execution. Oh, 100%. Like you said, the off, you mentioned it at the beginning. The offensive line looked good for them. We talked about their offensive line. They just were they didn't make any mistakes. And just some kind of notes before we get into each position group. So, snap count wise, it's the first time we've seen Isamon Hundley, the defensive end this season. Nick Martin played every snap for the first time this year. So Justin Wright's out. We didn't see Gabe Brown this game. And Benson and Oliver played their highest percentage of snaps this year. So not a lot of rotation from the linebackers. Against ASU, Oklahoma State played their three-down odd front 77% of the time. That increased to 87% against USA. Coach Nardo talked about they went to the even front on third down a couple times early. And then South Alabama ran the ball and were able to get the first down running. So I think they might have kind of gone away from the even front in kind of the middle part of the game until they figured some things out. They also showed a one-hand-in-the-ground defensive line look with Latou standing up as well. I like that. That reminded me of the Jim Knowles third downs that we've seen with the linebackers mugged up there. But yeah, I I mean, Kate, outside of that, I think I covered kind of some of the scheme scheme stuff. And if you didn't have anything else, I think we can get – into the defensive line, who I think, Cade, I don't think they played bad. I think everywhere else on the defense didn't have a good game. 
I don't think the defensive line was that bad. I just think in a three down, like your your next level needs to be rock solid or your defensive line is going to be what the um the person who's not going to go back and look at it is going to say the defensive line's terrible. And it's like, well, that their assignment is not to, you know, take on six blocks. Like you, you need your linebackers and your safeties to come up and help. And that just didn't happen very well. So I yeah, would agree with I you. Thought, I thought Latou, it might not have been, I think it was probably his worst game, but I don't think he was bad. I think he did get bullied a little bit early. And then he started kind of getting a little more physical as the game went on. He turned it on. He got some good pressure on a stunt late where I thought he was going to kill Carter Bradley. Xavier Ross, not only does he give you energy on the field, I don't know if you saw him kind of jumping around on the sideline and getting getting his guys hype. I thought he made a nice play on GH counter. I, you know, him being the leader is great. I, I thought there was one play where he kind of got out of his, out of his lane a little bit, as Gundy would say, but not overall, you know, he only played what I, it wasn't very many snaps again 13 snaps 20% of the snaps but he looks good he i like him in that snap range and i think he looks good when he gets that 13 to 15 snaps Jalil Johnson Deshaun Brown i thought they all played pretty well both impressive guys like the way they look physically by the way like they look like they're oh, yeah. ready for this level Walter Shad got bullied uh, again, kind of like Latou, a little bit early. I thought he got run over a couple times and then kind of cleaned it up as the game went on. But the defensive ends, to your point, Cade, I, I don't think they really did anything wrong. A lot of South Alabama's runs that got bounced outside were because those these three defensive linemen were clogging the middle, yep. which they're supposed to do. Yeah, that's and true. Oklahoma State was messing with some of the splits. They were kind of going to the tight front a little bit where they're all in a little bit tighter and then widening them out. So they were trying to play with some things there because of what South Alabama was doing. Kirkland, I think he probably had, I would probably call him, him or Oliver, the MVP of the defense. He made several plays from the nose tackle spot. And if a nose tackle is making plays, you know they're having a good game because they're normally the guy you don't really notice 42% of his snaps. There was one in the middle of the third quarter. He made a stop. They end up converting the third down, but he made it third and long because he blasted through the center, wrapped up the running back and slammed into the ground. WWE style. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I, I I love it. I mean, they, they need it at that spot, especially if you're going to see some of these struggles in that second level continue. Yeah, he threw a swim move out there once too, showing a little bit of his athleticism. I thought Clay was better in this game than Kelly only had six snaps, but I thought Colin Clay made a couple of nice plays. Linebacker-wise, Nick Martin, I think, you know, it wasn't so much his fault. We talked about it already because of how everything was aligned, because of what South Alabama was doing. But he was kind of left on an island out there. And he was struggling to get off those blocks, and he was pretty much unable to make any plays. That's actually exactly what I thought. And I've mentioned previously that his size gives me some concern. And I I think this was the game that that was uh, realized for me. He just, he looked overmatched. Yeah, and the one time he blitzes, South Alabama throws the slant right at where he blitzed from. So it converts. <laughs> so that sucked. I thought he still made some nice plays, but he was kind of put in a tough spot. It's a great point by you that kind of showed his undersized, maybe not lack of strength, but just him being a little bit smaller linebacker. He's just a smaller guy. Game. Yeah. Yeah. 
he had trouble getting off those blocks, but it, he was put in a tough position. Colin Oliver, I, I, he was great. Again, I thought he looked great at the linebacker spot. He had the strip sack when he moved to that Leo defensive end. I thought he handled the counter and gap runs really, really well. Like I said, he forced another fumble. Ten tackles, one tackle for loss, one sack, one forced fumble, and a pass breakup. He's kind of coming into his own at this linebacker spot. And I'm not saying he played a flawless game because I don't think any of the linebackers did. They got run all over by South Alabama. But the bright spot on the defense, I think, had to be Colin Oliver. Yeah, I, I think so, too. What He graded second highest in PFF or first highest? Uh, yeah, I think I think he was. It was in your table. He was in. He's on the list. He was though. first. Yeah, yeah, he was first. So I just pulled go. it up. And Kirkland was second. Ag- agreed with that, hundred percent. Yeah, and then Robertson got out there. I think he's actually starting to kind of come into his own a little bit. He got out there. You know, he got beat early, kind of in, in no man's land on a uh, RPO. Yep. Then he gets in the throwing lane to where Bradley ends up getting the first down but it was almost like the Gunner Gundy play that I sent you where Gunner made the wrong read and had to run it because the coverage ended up being in the way of his throw. Robertson did the same thing to Carter Bradley, except Carter Bradley, instead of getting one yard like Gunner, he got the first down. But great play by Robertson. Even on the Kendall Daniels slant RPO, glance RPO, that turned into a touchdown, Robertson got up, got his hands up in the throwing lane and kind of dropped into that area. So I think he's starting to kind of improve a little bit. Um, oh, we didn't even talk about Anthony Goodlow with defensive ends. For some reason, I put him in linebackers. I thought he had another pretty solid game. Benson, I, I don't. He just he doesn't do anything. Nope. You nope. know, it's That's not a great way so to put much it. Negative. He's just not ever making plays, and to the point where I sometimes forget to track track him and write notes about him, and then I'm like. Wait, I don't have any notes on Benson. Do you agree with me that like it seems like he's always running up on the tail end of the play when it's over and like like the guys going to the ground and it's almost like <laughs> I don't know, Dustin. I, I'm I'm frustrated there. He's he's put in I do agree with you. He's put into a little bit of a tough spot in this game. I'm not I'm not excusing this for his other games, but he's put into this spot in this game where He's kind of that field overhang linebacker. And we know that South Alabama was trying to spread Oklahoma State out, especially early. So he's widened out. And then they're running a lot of these run plays in the A or B gap, which we talked about. So he can't really get over there until it's too late. But I think even on the, the plays where he should be making a play, and to your point, on the backside, he's a little slow, and it's not like he's wrong. He's just a little slow. But I do think scheme-wise, both Oliver or all three of Oliver, Martin, and Benson were put into bad spots. And Benson may have gotten a little tired in this game from playing so many snaps. I said it was his highest percentage of snaps. I think he looked a little gassed as the game went on. Yeah, I just he he is very easy to look over. That's a great point by you that like he's all, always kind of on that weak side, and it just He's not making many plays. That's the best way I can say it. Donnie Stevens, on the other hand, I think is very aggressive in in what he's doing. He still needs to get the mental part down a little bit, but I think I think he's actually going to be really good. Only nine snaps for him and Robertson, so not too much. But onto the defensive backs, Cade. Before we talk about them, I wanted to read this quote from Kane Womack. 
we were able to establish a run. We were able to establish the run early, giving us some one-on-one shots. We liked some (laughs) matchups against a couple of their DBs, and we were able to get to those matchups early. He liked some matchups against some of our DBs. I hated that quote, but they were able to hit on some shots. Well, I, he certainly doesn't lack confidence either. I mean, if you saw him on the sidelines of that game, yeah. yeah, I mean, he was he was ready to fight somebody. It looked like, and so in a, in maybe a good way, I, I thought he was great. And he's he's right. I mean, their their receivers were better than OSU's DBs. I, I think it's that simple. So I, I guess just kind of go through them, starting with the safeties, Lear crawls. Again, it's almost like. A Jason Brooks situation with him, except in this game, I know Brooks didn't do that, but an ASU Jason Brooks in UCA, he makes a couple of good tackles and then he gets blocked multiple times when he's down near the box and can't get off of it. He has nine tackles on the game, so it's not like he played bad, but he's not being aggressive on those quick throws to the slot. He's not coming down and breaking on those. He just looks a little slow and I don't think he is slow. It's almost like a like a Benson situation a little bit too. I know she compared him to two different guys. <laughs> it's like he's not in the wrong spot. He's just not always getting there fast enough. But I don't think he played bad. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think he's played bad all year, but I don't know if he's played great all year. And so it's kind of what you would expect out of a guy like what this is is this year two? Really for him? Yeah, it's really his first year being yeah. out there. So What'd again, I'm gonna I'm gonna grade it on a little bit of a curve, like you yeah. said. It's a great point by you. I didn't think he had a terrible game, but he still just looks a little slow and he's just kind of inconsistent. What you expect from a young guy. I think these are things that we're saying that aren't a surprise. Trey Rucker. Man, the thing that I hated about him getting beat on that slot fade is I'm rewatching the game and I'm like, my notes are, man, Rucker has got to be more aggressive on these quick throws to the slot. He's got to be more aggressive on these quick throws to the slot. Then it's third and six for South Alabama. He's aggressive on the hitch, makes the tackle, fourth down, South Alabama has to punt. I wrote down, finally, he's aggressive on the yeah. quick throw to the slot. Then he makes the play on the deep ball. Then they come back, it's third and eight. Same situation, almost the same formation. And that slot fade has a double move on it. Rucker gets caught looking for the quick throw yep, and gets absolutely burned. So it's like he was doing the thing I was asking him, asking of him. And then it causes him to get burned later coaching. because he's got his eyes inside. It's good offensive coaching. I don't think it's poor on Oklahoma State's part. That's what the game is, but that's good execution from South Alabama. Yeah, I hated that for him too because he he was starting to be more aggressive. Then he got beat, and then he kind of backed off a little bit again. Luckily, Oklahoma State went to some more press, some more what I talked about moving the corner over. But he had a couple nice tackles. I didn't think – I think he's kind of the scapegoat for the defense because of that long play. Yeah. I didn't think – I didn't think he was the worst of the defensive players or anything like that. I didn't think he was great. I I think season long – he probably hasn't been one of the better players on the defense, but I didn't think it was like his worst game ever. And I've been seeing a lot of that. And it just, it didn't pop like that to me when I, and I, going back through my notes and watching the game for the 18th time, I just didn't see it as much. Yeah. It wasn't no, good I, though. I would agree with you. I just think that's kind of the, the way I feel about the secondary in general right now. It's like, nobody's, 
they're kind of they've all got Xavier Vincent syndrome. It's like they're yeah. not making that many plays, but they're not doing enough to be like you can't play. So it's kind of everybody that includes Kendall Daniels. Great segue to Kendall Daniels. Kind of a Nick Martin situation. I don't think all of it early was on him. He's put in some bad spots alignment wise from South, what South Alabama was doing. I don't think the coaching staff helped him much there. It's a learning experience for Nardo. It's a learning experience for Daniels in this Rover spot. But when he's aligned that deep and he's coming in to fit the run, he cannot miss tackles. And he did. Yeah, and again, if he misses that tackle, there's nobody there. One of the safeties is going to have to run Ladanian Webb down, which we saw happen and why he busted so many big runs. Because I think Daniels missed, I want to say I had him at three. I don't have my notes. I clicked off, but I want to say it was at three missed tackles. And that's three too many from that rover position. Yeah. And I know that, you know, Jason Taylor wasn't your rover last year. You didn't necessarily have a rover, but you do miss a sure tackling safety coming down and making those plays. He was that. And so I think you're starting to see some of that like lack of that presence in the safety room specifically right now. And he's still a young player. Kendall Daniels. Yeah, I know he for played sure. a lot last Great year. Point. It's a it's a different position. It's a new scheme. He even said after the game, when he's getting interviewed, covered in sweat, I need to do better. I need to drive harder on that glance route. He didn't say glance route, but drive harder on that glance route on that RPO, take a better angle. He was too passive. He said he was too passive and it led to a touchdown. And that's exactly it. We've seen the same issue with Rawls. We've seen the same issue with Rucker. It's YK going into the season. I think we got a question. It was a great question from one of our uh, Twitter followers saying, what's one of the sicko things you guys are watching? Is it offensive line play? Something like that. I said, how we cover the slot receiver. And and I think that's been a huge issue this year. I'm not trying to give myself flowers or anything. It's truly a question that I had. And I, I think we've, you know, been below average at how we've done that this season. And I think from just a, like, if you didn't listen to this podcast and you weren't tuned in to the things that a three, three, five mean for you, you would look at that alignment, not necessarily a Kendall Daniels, but you would look at the alignment between a Trey Rucker and a slot receiver and look at that nine yards in between. And you would potentially like throw up. It's, it's part of this defense and even for me, like I had been studying it in the off season, but it's, it can be jarring. And so for you, it's like an amazing call from you because it is something that if you're watching, you'll notice like that it's, it's a staple in this thing. The, the angles that these safeties are taking mainly Rucker and Daniels Rawls actually takes good angles. just a little slow. They've got to get better. And I think it's just going to come with experience in this defense, which we talked about. There's probably going to be growing pains in this defense. I didn't think South Alabama was going to run all over us like this, but there's going to be growing pains and I think they'll get corrected. And if you watch Nardo's post-game presser, I texted you about it. Yeah. He was visibly upset and we haven't seen that kind of fire and passion just because Mike Gundy handles things a little bit differently. And then Casey Dunn's kind of personality is always a little bit more nonchalant. Your sitch would be fine with it. The media. And you could see that kind of passion, but this is a different, like he was upset at himself in the game plan. And I think he can continue to improve the corners. I don't think they really got targeted that much. They were going after our safeties. I thought Smith had some nice tackles. They missed setting the edge a couple of times. I thought Cam Smith, 
Corey Black, whenever he got thrown at, he Corey Black has been awesome this year. It just doesn't pop because they never throw at him. Right, right. And that's the because, hallmark of a good corner, right? Like there's just nobody going at you. Well, in Oklahoma State doesn't switch their corner sides. I've talked about it. They have a right corner and a left corner. So a team can kind of scheme them out of the game if they want to. They It means they'll have to throw into the boundary sometimes, but they can do that. I thought all the corners played fine. I, yeah, I didn't think right. I, I think it was McKinney who I had down as yeah, it was poor job of setting the edge on that Ladanium Webb TD run early in the second quarter. Well, through three it's games, not his Justin. job to make the tackle, but he's got to keep it inside. Yeah, through three games, though, you're seeing a theme and the corners have been decent. Nobody's really tested them. This is all like north, south, inside receiver slots, slot like this. That's all this is right now. And well, Iowa State's I mean, gonna try to do the same thing. South Alabama completed like all of their passes to the slot and the tight end. Mm. They had, they only completed one pass to a receiver that wasn't a slot. So they, yeah, Colin Lacey had five. Lincoln uh, Sefchik had three. He's a tight end. Javen Ivory's a, a wide receiver. He had one. And Kentrell Bullock, the running back, had one. So like one completion to an outside receiver. Yeah, like Central Arkansas. It was in the flat. It was inside like that second level of the defense Arizona State the one play they kind of hit on was down the field straight on and then South Alabama does the exact same thing so this is a theme now to be looking for hey special teams they were bad we <laughs> talked about how if they're good they could win us a game I don't think they lost us a game I think Mike Gundy tried to allude to that but they were bad in this game yes they were yeah I and I would agree 33 to 7 if you blame that on special teams, I've got a little bit of an issue with that. But, you know, Dustin, I, between, you know, several poor punts, uh, Brennan Presley muffing one of his own. I just I was not thrilled with really anything that took place in this game. It almost feels like you just throw the whole thing away because nobody really did anything worthwhile. Yeah, like you said, West Paul had the poor punt. Brennan Presley fumbled. Logan Ward even, I mean, I don't think the wind was too big of a factor and he didn't get a couple into the end zone. He lucky there was one of them. I think that was fair caught that they could have taken out, yeah. but I think they were being a little passive with the lead, but those guys have been good. They were great in the first two games. So got to get that cleaned up. And Cade, we went way too long on a game that we shouldn't have gone that long on, but I thought the quarterback position and our discussion there had to be brought up because of how much we've talked QBs on this spot and because the rotation continues. Well, and it was good to get some things off of my chest too. I appreciate you, you uh, hanging tight with me. It just, you know, I would agree. I, I think that, you know, it's one thing if we sweep this one under the, under the rug and all of a sudden we, we don't want to talk about things when uh, it's bad. That's not really true. I mean, no, it's not fun, but I think you deserve as our listener who tunes in every week, I think you deserve the same level of breakdown that you get every week. Uh, just know that Dustin did it with a tear in his eye. And uh, I, I admire that from him. So, and I, Dustin, again, I appreciate you kind of, you know, I, I, I went in a little bit on the quarterbacks. I, I, uh, you know, I, it's not like me normally. No, no, rightly so. Okay. Rightly so. I, I, I don't think you could apologize for that at all. I think that the way it was separated, even if it's due to some Rangel illness, I still don't think, one of the quarterbacks should have gotten that much run. And if any of them did based on 
play in the past and even play this season, I don't think it should have been Gunner. Yeah. If it was about fairness, it's not anymore because that wasn't fair. Completely agree. All right, let's talk a little Iowa State. And next week, Cade, we just have a re- – just so we don't forget to say this, we'll just have a review of Iowa State. So we'll probably ask for some listener questions. Yes, we will. If you guys still want to do that, we're sorry we haven't been taking them, but we went for two and a half hours last week. And then the week after that, we'll probably do questions again because we'll just have a preview pod. So <laughs> two weeks of questions. That That's right. And I'm excited for that. I'm excited. To, <laughs> maybe, maybe this may be Pandora's box with a, you know, uh, a bunch of uh, jumping worms out at you, but I, I don't know. This, this could look bad. <laughs> All right, Cade, Iowa State, we're not going to do the fun facts and things of that nature with team with any of the old teams, especially when I don't like them. A lot of changes. Like <laughs> yeah. So Iowa state, we know Matt Campbell has been there for seven years now. He's been at Toledo. He's been at Mount union. He's had John Haycock, his defensive coordinator with him the entire time. They did make one change Cade though on offense, Nate Shieldhouse, who's been with the program for a long time. He's now their offensive coordinator and they let Tom Manning go. Who's not only was Iowa state's longtime offensive coordinator, He's one of Campbell's like really good friends. They've been coached together, I think, since Mountain Union. So Shieldhouse is going to be the third coach in a row that we face, coordinator or coach that's around our age, 32 years old from <laughs> Shieldhouse. He's a former QB. So it'll be interesting to kind of see Oklahoma State, you know, won this game last year, 20 to 14. If you make that your score prediction this year, I wouldn't blame you. <laughs> This is a team, Cade, that got ransacked by the gambling, kind of similar to what happened to Arlen Bruce. They lost Hunter Deckers, their QB, Jaleel Brock, their running back, Deshaun Hanneke, their tight end, one of their offensive linemen, a couple of other guys. And most projections had them finishing low in the Big 12, six wins, five wins before all that. So I, I just, it's not a very good team. They just lost. They're coming off two straight losses. They lost to Iowa 20 to 13, and they lost to Ohio 10 to 7. In what was, and I'm including the Oklahoma State game in this, that Ohio Iowa State game was the worst football game I've ever watched. And I watched part of it live and then went back and watched it for this podcast. And I, it almost made me not want to watch football anymore. Well, exact same situation for me. I had it, I had my own little quad box going. Shout out to Fubo. I can do that on Saturdays. And that game was atrocious. You can't really even call it football. You really can't. And kid, what I wanted to do with some of these teams that we played in the past, I kind of wanted to, I was thinking about going through some of the stuff Oklahoma State did last year on offense and defense, but I don't think either is really that applicable because of how much turnover. So maybe that'll be something we do next season on these previews, but I just don't know how applicable it'll be this year, but Iowa state's almost, they're really similar to last year, except that they can't run the ball at all this year. 38 rush yards against Ohio, 1.7 yards per carry, but they're struggling on offense similar to how they were last year. Their defense has been good, but the quality opponents, yeah. they haven't really played offensive powerhouses, Northern Iowa, well, they're Iowa, to get one. <laughs> and Ohio. Yeah, again, so we don't really know how good their defense is, but with John Haycock, 
and a, you know they're returning some guys. It's probably going to be pretty good. But on offense, sticking with them for now, Xavier Hutchinson is gone along with all those guys I mentioned for the gambling record-setting wide receiver for them. Uh, a name I haven't heard talked about a lot, Jared Russ, their fullback. He he was a, a key part of their offense last year. He's no longer there. And then center Trevor Downing. Outside of that, they return one offensive lineman that started quite a few games, but they've got a lot of guys that have some experience on their offensive line. And Cade, they've been okay in pass pro, but they have not been able to block the run. And yeah. I think they're going to have uh, Jim Boniface, their center. I, I have great, I've watched all three of their games this year and he's the, I've graded him out as the worst offensive lineman on their team. I think he's going to get manhandled by Justin Kirkland. That's the one I think kind of positive take I have so far kind of going into this game. Yeah, I, I think defensively it's a get right game. It's a game that you feel again, Iowa State's gonna try to exploit you. I would think the same way that the previous three opponents have, but I don't know if they've got the the Jimmies and Joes to be able to do that to where Oklahoma State can't make adjustments to support in the run game that they weren't able to make against South Alabama. So I, I feel like this is this this feels like they're going to pitch a much better game defensively against Iowa State's offense. Yeah, and Iowa State their offense scheme wise pretty multiple so far this year. It's not that different from the Tom Manning offense, and I think a lot of Iowa State fans are wondering why'd we even fire him if we were going to do the same thing and look even worse. But a lot of eleven personnel, twelve personnel, even some thirteen. They they, they try to get as many even without Hanukkah. They try to get as many tight ends as possible on the field and they'll even go empty they did that a lot in the ohio game but with two tight ends so it's a empty 12 personnel look with a running back and two tight ends out there on the ground they've gone zone heavy in some games this year and they've gone gap heavy in some games with dart gh counter anything that in the gh counter obviously because they're going to involve the tight end and then some pin and pull stuff but they were heavy zone against Iowa. I saw very little uh, gap runs. And then they'll go under center and do some ISO with the tight end at full block and lead block. In the passing game, RPOs, that's always been what they've done. Do you, I don't know if you remember Brock Purdy absolutely torching Colby Harvell Peel over and over again as I the do. conflict player a couple years ago. Not fun to think about. Their drop back passing game, it's... It's pretty well designed, but not anything out of the ordinary from what Oklahoma State sees in the Big 12. Uh, Rocco Beck, their QB, had food poisoning in the Ohio game. Apparently, he was throwing up all of halftime. And they, Jalen Knoll, their best player probably on offense, their slot receiver, who Oklahoma State has to key on in this game, he didn't even play because he was so sick. He was suited up, but apparently couldn't stop throwing up in the Ohio game. So well, you do have to take that into account. I thought if you were sick, you get 9% of the snaps at quarterback. I thought that was the rule. <laughs> That's a good callback joke from Cade. Rocco Becht, rollouts, double slants, outs, hitch, curl, you know, stuff like that. They like to target the tight end. They've got a lot of targets this year, and they got a lot of tight ends. Uh, they brought in a new offensive line coach, and their offensive line hasn't looked good. So to all the people wanting to fire Charlie Dickey, no, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> I thought I had to throw that joke in there. They pretty much they made a bunch of changes on their offensive coaching staff, special teams coordinator, strength and conditioning. But overall, Cade, I, I think what they're going to try to do, if Jalen Noel, if Jalen Noel, it's, it looks like Noel, it's Noel pronunciation guide. Yeah. I always check it. 
they're going to try to go to him. I, he's going to be healthy if, if it was truly food poisoning. Rocco Becht, and I feel I, he might be the worst quarterback they face that we faced this year. It's a he's good time for it. So bad. And I felt so bad for him because he was sick. And they kept showing his dad, who's the coach of the St. Louis Battlehawks in the XFL. And then they showed him, in the, and they kept talking about him, kept showing him. And every time Beck would make a terrible play, not like too bad, though, incompletion or something. And then they show him, they have this long convo about how he used to be an analyst. And the guy calling the game used to work with his dad. And they pan back to Beck, just throwing a pick. Yeah. Just in a yeah. really bad spot. It, I felt so bad for the kid because I know he was sick, but he ha- he's like under 58% completion percentage and has just, because he doesn't have any help in the run game, he's not a guy that can win games by himself, or, or at least he hasn't shown that. I could be proven wrong. It actually kind of feels like Iowa State's offense, I mean, granted for different reasons, is experiencing some things similar to Oklahoma State's where what once was a strong calling card and being able to run the ball now that you can't hang your hat on that, everything is much, much harder. I'll also say this before we get, you know, much further into Iowa State. I feel a little bad for Matt Campbell. Like this, he I I have not been a Matt Campbell believer necessarily. I thought you got to win nine games <laughs> to our guys over at Pistols Firing for that fantastic uh joke for Iowa State <laughs> over the years. We're, we're laying the jokes on thick right now. I know. I what else can you do? I mean, it, you if you can't lie, if you can't smile through the pain, what can you do? But I, I'll just say, I do feel a little bit bad for Matt Campbell and the situation he's in. He's already kind of you know on the hot seat for the way things have gone the last two years. Now this is really a a difficult situation for the foreseeable to try to rebuild this program. And what you're seeing right now, offensively, they are ravaged this is like this is like a covid type of situation where you just got bodies at now at this point yeah i mean to the point where they pulled daryl simmons jr their left guard last game i didn't see him get injured and i I rewinded it back to see i didn't see anything about an injury this week so i think he got straight up pulled for grant triber to come in and play for him i mean we've seen oklahoma state do some shuffling so it's it's a similar situation right now as in terms of can't get anything going and having some issues in the offensive line, not, not with quarterback and things of that nature, but it, it's been tough for them. I mean, they've got good guys. Jared Hufford, their right uh, guard has been good. The right tacker, Tyler Miller is okay, but they've kid outside of tight ends and null, they they've really only thrown the ball to Jaden Higgins. And then Aiden bitter, Dimitri Stanley have kind of shown up. But their targets are so far below Noel in the tight ends. It's it's almost like if they were to go to another receiver in the Oklahoma State game, it's because they schemed them up because we haven't seen that yet. Yeah, yeah, I, I would 100% agree with that. I, I would think that Noel gets the lion's share of the targets. They're running back, Cartavius Norton. He's been asked to step into the starting role for Brock, and he's not a one he's an rb2 and he's a good rb2 but he's not an rb1 it also has hurt them that eli sanders one of their running backs has been out but they have the the other bright spot besides Noel and these tight ends abu sama the third freshman running back number 24 they've put him in the game and he's actually looked really good i expect his carries to increase and 
I could see this guy being their number one running back by the time the season oh, wow. ends. Uh, yeah. He's he's really good. But tight ends wise, Easton Dean, Gabe Burkle, Tyler Moore, and then Benjamin Brammer. They've been looking to him deep. So we got to watch out for that. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, I mean, Dustin, what do they what do they do offensively that worries you in a game like this? I think trying to get the ball to Null because yeah, right. he's their slot guy. They put him in motion. I'm worried that he could go off if we don't pay attention to him. But I just, if Iowa State is able to run the ball on you consistently, then it's going to be a tough season. I, I think yeah. that that this can be this game can be your barometer because they are really bad at running the football. Yeah, it's a it's a it's the way I see it in multiple ways. But I I totally agree with that. On defense, their scheme, John Haycock, it 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 looks a lot like Oklahoma State's scheme. It's going to be three three five. They'll bring a fourth guy up there sometimes. They've got uh, Jr. Singleton, Joey Peterson is kind of their Leo position that they'll bring up there as the fourth guy on the line at times. Dominique Orange is their nose guard, and he's been really good this year. And then my favorite player in their kind of front seven, Tyler Onadam. He has been really, really good. Number 11, their defensive end. But my thing with the defensive line for Iowa State, Kate, is they lost Will McDonald. They lost MJ Anderson. And those are two NFL players. And you can see the impact losing those guys has felt. They've got some guys like uh, Izogu and Akoli and Caden Sutton and Trent Jones that they can rotate in. But none of these guys are up to that caliber. And, and no one should expect them to be. These Will McDonald and MJ Anderson were amazing players. The defensive line has definitely taken a step back, and it's noticeable, which is why at the beginning I said I don't truly know how good this defense is, and I was mainly talking about this defensive line. Well, and that's what they've hung their hat on, as you mentioned, not just even with Will McDonald, but the years before that, that's that's what you felt like you were going to get with Iowa State was a physical defensive front and corners that tackled really well. But if you're asking them to do that with a running back running downhill on you, it's tough. Hey, to the point where they've actually gone to some even front. They did oh, wow. it against Ohio without a true nose. So I, I don't remember seeing them do that a ton nope. last season or when they had Anderson and McDonald. They might have, they might have, and I just am misremembering, but they they've actually played quite a bit of man this year too, which could be based on their opponents like Northern Iowa and Ohio, but they'll obviously do the different things they do in the zone, send pressures from weird spots. I won't go through their scheme in detail because it's been the same for forever kind of just more talk about the players here linebacker wise i think their best linebacker gary vaughn he are I, I think he's their best linebacker he's been out it sounds like he's going to be back this week he's their weak side linebacker there will sounds like he'll be back but the linebacking core they've been okay will mclaughlin their strong side linebacker jess jack sadowski their middle linebacker they've uh mixed caleb bacon and Jacob Ellis and Carson Willich in there some. I like what I've seen from Bacon in limited snaps. He's kind of like their Xavier Ross, their energy guy that they bring in. But the linebacking core, again, I think it's taken a step back. Well, I would like to say that Oklahoma State can do something to uh, counter a weak side linebacker, but they, they don't do a whole lot to the weak side anyway. So, like, I don't know how much Gary Vaughn you're going to see. Is there? They don't do a whole lot that way, especially in the run game. The the spot where they have not taken a step back is the defensive backfield. EJ Tampa is one of the best cornerbacks in not only the Big 12, but I think the country. 
and he gets he overshadows Miles Purchase because he's so good, but Miles Purchase is very good at the other corner spot. And I think their best player total on their entire team this season has been Jeremiah Cooper, their safety number four. He had a couple penalties against Ohio, and the Ohio tight end kind of truck sticked him, but he made some awesome plays in that game. He's got multiple interceptions this season. He's very he's one of the best cover safeties that's not like a true nickel safety that I've seen in a while. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll be excited to see how Oklahoma State puts him in conflict if they choose to at all. Yeah. And then outside of him, uh Bo Freeler, we know that name. He I think he's a little I'm gonna say this and he's gonna absolutely dominate. I think he's a little overrated. Compared to the rest of the defensive backfield, he's been there for a while. He plays that rover, that middle safety, that joker, whatever you want to call it, kind of the Kendall Daniels spot. And he he's not Kendall Daniels. He doesn't have anywhere near the athleticism. He's a really good player. He could definitely beat me up if he ever heard this, but I just I think he's a little overrated. And the last guy, Malik Burden, a really talented safety. They don't rotate their defensive backs very much at all. If you look at the snap counts for the backup corners i think like combined they have like 70 snaps or something it's been mainly these guys playing almost every snap yeah well it's uh it's a good spot to get this iowa state team what i'll say is if you can't run the ball and the strength of that defense lies in the backfield this is going to be a long day and i i just i just have this sinking feeling that it's going to be i mean do you agree with that? Like, do you feel like yeah. Oklahoma state's going to find success running the football on that front? I think so. I do think that running counter running gap scheme against what Iowa state likes to do sometimes with their odd tight front is, is a smart move. I do think running counter is a smart move against that. If they mix in some of that gap spe- scheme, if the shuffling of the O-line works, if they pick a QB, I think they could get something going. Yeah. Now, do I think all of that is going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> it's a good good way to put it. There's a lot that needs to fall right, but if it does, Dustin, I mean that if you would have pointed to this game, which we did at the beginning of the season, we we chalked this up as a win for a lot of these these reasons, not knowing Oklahoma State was going to get boat, boat raced by South Alabama, right? So, I, I still think that the advantage. X's and O's wise lies with Oklahoma state, but it is a see it to believe it situation for me. Yeah, I agree with you. I I mean, it, are you, are you ready to pick it? I am. I, I, so I have it at ISU favored minus three and a half over under at 36.5. What is your prediction? I, I'm going to take the under. On that, and I'm not even doing it as like a haha. They're not nobody's going to score 36 and a half points. It's more like literally. I don't, I don't see how either of these offenses find enough sustained success to get to that number. That might be my lock of the week in in college football this week. I'm gonna pick Oklahoma State to win this game, though. I I do think that they're going to be able to find something at some point in this game. But I think it's going to take like one. I, I that's how I feel about it with Iowa State's ineptness on offense. And I, I Dustin, I think it's going to be like 
16 to 13. And Oklahoma State kicks a bunch of field goals, plays the field position game, and wins that way. I think Oklahoma State, knowing they have the bye week coming up and knowing that they can install some stuff that they haven't shown on film, I think that we that Kansas State wouldn't have seen. I think we show a lot more than we've shown, and I'm being very optimistic by saying this, on both sides of the ball, I think we see some Anardo's blitz packages because I do think blitzing back has worked this year when other teams have done it to Iowa State. And I think on the offensive side of the ball that we mix in some of the gap scheme, try to get the run game going early, and we see three or four kind of new pass concepts that maybe we go to multiple times, but that we haven't seen or haven't seen this year. And I think we're able to score a little bit more. And when you hear my score, you're going to be like, that's a little bit more, but I'm going to go 24 Oklahoma state, 24 Iowa state, 13. Wow. Well, I'll so say slightly over an 11 point win in this setting would be a huge win. I mean, I, I think it would be a, Total wipe the slate clean, get to your bye weekend, sell out against Kansas State on a Friday night in a blackout, and all of a sudden the narrative shifts around what this season can be. You're not going to go to the playoff. You never were, but you're still 0-0 zero and zero in conference play. This this is a must win, absolute must I, win. I think I, I know some people will disagree with us saying that, but I think it is, and I hate thinking about it this way, but because K-State is a good team, I know they lost to Missouri, but because KC is a good team and cut because of what they did to you last year, and there's a chance that they're probably going to beat you, uh, you know, just I'm sure they'll be favored. I'll, just saying all that, you you know, the team that was really good, reigning Big 12 champs. I do think it is a must win Confid- for confidence alone for this team. We know their morale still high. The guys have all talked about it. They have a good close knit group. The O line all met. We talked about that. They obviously all really care about each other. They want to be a good team. They think they're a good team. I think if you come out and look terrible against Iowa State, there's a chance, and then go in the bye week and come out and lose to K-State, I think your right. season could get off the rails. And I, I th- that's why I think we're going to see some things open up. I think whatever they were planning on saving for K-State, we see most of, if not all of it, have to, to win this Iowa State game. And then you go into the bye week and you try to do some new stuff, try to install some new stuff, and try to beat K-State, like you said, on a sellout Friday night. But I think you have to win this game. So I think they unload the playbook. And Cade, if I had to bet, I'm not going to use any of my real money on this, but I think we see one of the QBs get the 50, 60 snaps to start the game, 50, 50 to 60% of the snaps to start the game. If they come out and rotate like they did ASU and UCA, I would honestly be shocked because I think you have to go in and try to win this game. I think you just have to pick a guy and open up the playbook. I love the way you put all of that. I totally agree. If this is a three-quarterback rotating type of game, I think you'll lose. And I think that you've lost the fan base, the, the majority of it in the process. And the likelihood of you coming out and beating K-State after something like that is very slim in my mind. And then you're looking up at two and three with a trip to or Kansas comes to your hometown. I, I just don't like the way any of that shapes up. This is a massive game for the, the, the trajectory of the season, and it's winnable. And I mean, yeah. you don't have to go in and blow them out. You just need to go in and show that what we have thought was coming is coming. So I, I love the way you said that, Dustin. I totally agree. 
And you got to remember too, I believe K-State's coming off a bye when they play us as well. So that's right. You got to take all that into account. Kate, that's all I have. Do you want it before we sign off? Do you want to hear one more word from our sponsor? I do. I do. All right. This is Wild Oak Lighting. We've talked about them now for several weeks on the podcast. We really appreciate them sponsoring the Feels Like 45 podcast. Wild Oak Lighting is your authorized jellyfish lighting dealer for the greater Oklahoma City area, Stillwater, and several other Oklahoma markets. Jellyfish lighting is a permanent but discreet color-changing LED lighting system for the exterior of your home. With 16 million different colors and patterns, jellyfish lighting can be used for Christmas, holiday, and accent lighting. And of course, Oklahoma State game day lighting, as I've been doing this season. (laughs) You can learn more about jellyfish lighting by checking out the website wildoak-lighting.com, or you can follow them on Facebook or on Instagram at wildoak underscore lighting. You should definitely check them out on Instagram, by the way. They actually post some cool stuff, cool videos, cool testimonials, like my testimonial that I'm about to go into right now, Cade. I personally have jellyfish lights installed on my house. I love them. Team's super easy to work with. I know you guys have heard me say it. I turned them on last Monday night for the Saints game, had them going. I'm sure people were like, what is this color pattern in Oklahoma? (laughs) I need to get a big Florida lead to kind of put out there with them, but had it on for the Saints, had the accent lighting on right now. As we get into baseball playoffs, I'm sure most of our listeners will hate that I'm an Astros fan, but I'll have them blue and orange for the Astros. And especially when we get into Christmas season, now I don't have to get up on my roof, worry about falling off. So definitely hit up Wild Oak Lighting as we get into the holiday season. You won't regret it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. They do amazing work and, uh, yeah, their their Instagram's outstanding, and uh, yeah, we we love that they're partnering with the show, especially this season. You got to light it up, especially when you're not lighting up the scoreboard. Light up your own house. Yeah, oh, Safely. that's great. <laughs> the Wild Oak Lighting guys might have to pay us for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, tell tell them. I I that's that's TM. <laughs> that's proprietary. All right. Well, we've gone on far too long, Dustin. Sorry for being negative. It. Well, sorry for being I, negative. I know if we're we, normally the positive guys, but we we did this after the K-State game last year too. Sometimes that's all you can do. I agree with you. If we got on here and sugarcoated things, which we don't do, I do honestly believe that we are always honest, it would have turned everybody off, including me and you. That's just not the way we do it. So Dustin, a fantastic breakdown. Here's to an Oklahoma State win in Ames this weekend. And, and a personal shout out, to my little brother and friend of the podcast, Cameron Webb, who's getting married this weekend in Kansas City. So I will be watching the game from the congrats, comfort Cam. of his wedding. So, yes, a big congrats to him. Look forward to celebrating with him. Kate, and, you know, celebration to me as well. Uh, my wife and daughter are going out of town this weekend. So I'll oh. be watching the game and just kind of having a solo dad it's, weekend. It's the weekend about. of Dustin. Oh my god! Yeah, gosh. so if you see me out in Oklahoma City this weekend, sorry. Well, apologies in advance. And you'll be wearing your Charlie Hustle shirt, I oh, imagine, for sure. yeah, or no so. shirt. Who knows? It depends on what time you run into Dustin <laughs> this week. So, no, great show, Dustin. Appreciate it as always. If you're not already, you can follow him at Dust Ragu. You can follow me at Cade Webb, and you can follow us at Feels Like Forty Five Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. And one more thing, Cade, I don't do this often, and I should do it way more, giving you your flowers 
for the great editing and production job you oh. do on this podcast. Oh, well, you're a you're a kind guy. I've said that twice now. You're you're doing a really good job, Dustin. I don't know if I've said that to you, but you are. Let's get out of here. Positive note before before we go 20 more minutes on on each other. We'll see you guys back here next week. <laughs> go pokes. Ha, <laughs> ha,